It's 51 degrees now at DVE. I'm Val Porter. Another member of the Trump cabinet is being replaced. President Trump says he is nominating his personal physician to be the next Veterans Affairs Secretary. There was wide speculation the current VA Secretary David Shulkin was on his way out. Shulkin came under fire last year after his wife accompanied him on a trip to Europe at taxpayers' expense. The unarmed African-American man killed earlier this month by Sacramento police while holding his cell phone will be laid to rest today. The Reverend Al Sharpton is expected to deliver a eulogy at the funeral for Stephon Clark. Clark was shot multiple times on March 18th while in his grandparents' backyard. Officers maintain they thought his phone was a gun. Pittsburgh Mayor Bill Peduto is requiring city-owned buildings to provide areas for moms to breastfeed their kids. He issued the executive order yesterday, and it is effective immediately. It specifies that lactation stations be included in new construction plans and when major renovations are undertaking. undertaken. Peduto says all mothers in Pittsburgh deserve a safe, sanitary, and private place to breastfeed and pump breast milk for their kids. Super gonorrhea is on the loose. Health officials in the UK say they've found a man with a super resistant form of gonorrhea. This guy's infection is totally resistant to all the drugs and treatment typically used against the STD. He is now being treated with an antibiotic through an IV. The World Health Organization reports that 78 million people get infected with gonorrhea every year. Uh, This man says he picked it up in Southeast Asia. Well, the Easter Bunny isn't the only one splurging on chocolate this time of year. James Miller at the Florida Retail Federation says Americans buy more candy for Easter than we do for Halloween, with this year's total expected to be $2.6 billion nationwide. Other big-ticket items include food, clothing, and flowers. Miller says the Federation is predicting that overall Americans will spend more than $18 billion for Easter. Their survey shows that 60% of us will visit family and friends, 58% will cook a holiday meal, and 50 51% will go to church. And speaking of that, an Ohio woman might want to go to church this Sunday and ask for forgiveness after she was arrested for making lewd comments to the Easter Bunny. 54-year-old LaDonna Hewitt was hanging out at a carousel park where witnesses noticed that she appeared to be quite intoxicated. They called police. While at the park, she had her picture taken with the Easter Bunny and allegedly made lewd comments to the character before taking a ride on a carousel. It's not known exactly what she said into the bunny's giant ears, but it was bad enough for police to arrest her for public drunkenness. Well, after numerous starts and stops, not to mention changes in who will play Freddie Mercury and a few directors, the Queen biopic Bohemian Rhapsody will open in theaters on November 2nd instead of the original date of December 25th. The film, which originally had Sasha Baron Cohen playing Mercury, now has Rami Malek in the lead role. Brian May and Roger Taylor are the executive producers of that film. Finally, the Roseanne reboot is a ratings winner and President Trump is paying attention. According to ABC, the premiere was watched by more than 18 million viewers and is the highest rated comedy telecast on any network in nearly four years. ABC adds that it was Tuesday's highest rated entertainment telecast in six years among young adults. White House Press Secretary Sarah Huckabee Sanders said the president was so wowed by the show's success, he called Roseanne to congratulate her. Barr has been a longtime and vocal supporter of Donald Trump. Fake news. No way he watches TV. (sighs) Rainy and foggy today. Temperatures in the low 60s. It's 51 at DVE. It is the DVE morning show. And uh, a little bit later on this morning, Stan Saverin will be joining us to talk. Penn's hockey. They're in the... uh... 
They're in the Garden State tonight, taking on the Devils. Also, we'll talk with Michael Krieger. He is uh, a Ph.D. student at Penn State who is uh, quoted in this uh, Wall Street Journal article about why it's so hard to delete Facebook. And uh, it apparently is very hard for people, not, not the steps to delete it, the mental, emotionally, emotional toll it's taken on people. <laughs> uh, so we'll talk with him about that a little bit later on this morning. Beatles, get us going, DV. To making love, our bodies trembled as we touched. Then I heard an awful sound, like she rolled on top of a duck. She had a lady part fart. No, let's just pretend that didn't happen. She blew a fart from her lady part. She blew a lady part fart. It's just trapped there, perfectly natural. It was a fart from a lady part. Oh, come on, baby, stop laughing. It was a couple of minutes until we could get back in the mood. We started grinding pelvises until hers honked just like a goose. She blew a lady part fart. I promise that came from the front yard, not the back. She blew a fart from a lady part. She blew a lady part fart. It's just a pocket of air. Please stop laughing. It was a fart from a lady part. Let's try one more time, baby. I wiped the tears out from my eyes. Cause I was laughing so hard I cried. And then she kissed me and said, please, baby, let's give it one more try. That's when she blew a real fart. Oh, my bad. That was from the bean dip that saw me. It was no fart from her lady part. It was an actual fart. Blow out that candle, baby. That'll knock the pungency down a bit. My baby laid a real sex fart. I should probably go to the bathroom. Excuse me, I'm just gonna step back here. Sorry. No. It is the DVE morning show, and believe it or not, we're only a week or so from uh, the home week, opener. A week from yesterday. Yeah, for the Buckos. Pirates have announced their new menu items available at uh, PNC Park this season. And here to discuss how everything uh, is so delicious this year, it's team owner hmm. Bob Nutting. Good morning, sir. Hi, how are you? Good morning, Pirate fans. Hi. Wait until you hear about all the new tasty treats available this year during Pirate Games in the food holes. Not food holes. <laughs> I, think, I think you mean concession stands. Concession? No, sir. In fact, delicious food is the only thing we haven't conceded this pirate season. Okay, take me through it all. Well, first, there's the delicious Waffle Saccone. Waffle Saccone? <laughs> Named after President-elect Rick Saccone. No, he wasn't running for president. Also, he lost. Then he'll feel right at home at PNC Park, lapping up an enormous Waffle Saccone which is an ice-milk-filled waffle cone with a mustache on the front made with real <laughs> parrot fur. Yeah, I, I see here you you have a beefless meatball this year. Yes, Francisco Cervelli is back. No, I'm talking about food. It says <laughs> in the p- 
press release, you're offering a beefless meatball, and that you also offer an untuna salad. Well, those will go well with the hitless hitters. Yeah, good point. <laughs> oh, all right, one more. Uh, you know, uh, Mr. Nutting, what is your favorite food item at PNC Park? The ATM machine. No, food item. <laughs> oh, that's easy, Lanny. It's the Cutch and Cole <laughs> sub. You have a sub named after Cutch and Cole? What's on it? Well, you pick your two favorite meats, and then we send them off to another stadium and sub it with an inferior sandwich that you've never heard of. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, it was nice talking to you, Mr. Nutting, and best of luck. Oh, we won't need luck. He's stuck in Korea anyways. That's gong, not luck. Gong, not luck? The evil dictator? No, that... Look, neither I nor the parrot endorse his reign of terror. No, not that, just... (laughs) By the way, Mr. Nutty, is the home opener sold out yet? No, but it will be once word gets out about these delicious sausage-free kielbasa sliders. Mm. Tastes like lacquer. Lacquer? Yes. Turpentiny lacquer. It's a good chance you're eating the food they spray with chemicals and they just leave it out, you know, all day and everything. <laughs> Meatless. DVE Sports. It's the DVE Morning Show. Mike Pursuta with your sports right now. Mike, what's going on? Sports are brought to you by Xfinity X1. There was actually uh, an encouraging event at the Peterson Event Center yesterday. Starting yeah. shortly afternoon, the new basketball coach, Jeff Capel, introduced to the media and to uh, a bunch of the Pitt fans. And uh, an, an inspiring session. Jeff Capel really making a good first impression and leaving no doubt whatsoever about uh, what he was brought here to do or his excitement level regarding the opportunity to do it. I stand here today honored, excited, and ready to go and ready to get started and to build this back into a championship program. And I have absolutely no doubt that that's something that we will do. It's really good to hear. Yeah, he didn't come here to be mediocre. Yeah. Uh, he comes from Duke, uh, where he spent the last seven seasons as an assistant to Mike Krzyzewski, a guy who he played for during his uh, collegiate playing career. Now, in between, Jeff Capel was the head coach at Virginia Commonwealth and the head coach at Oklahoma. But he talked yesterday about how he'll be better in his third stint as a head coach for having had to become an assistant after the Oklahoma thing didn't work out. Going from a head coach for nine years back to an assistant, I mean, it was interesting. It, it was it was interesting, but it was necessary. I learned... Uh, you know, during my seven years at Duke, I think the biggest thing is is how to really run a program. You know, I thought that I was good before, but I know that I'll be better now because I have I've had a chance to sit beside and be with every day and have these intimate conversations with a guy that I think is the best that's ever done it. And I knew Duke as a player, but I didn't know the ins and outs. And I've, that's that's the thing that I've learned. And I'm a I'm a guy that asks a bunch of questions, and through seven years, Coach probably got tired of me asking questions. Uh, but again, you know, I think I've learned how to run a program better, the ins and outs, just everything with the program. I, I know I've become a better coach. Um, I think I will have better balance now as a head coach, maybe as I did before. Um, 
I think I've learned not to take myself as serious as I once did, uh, you know, when I was a head coach. Um, and that this should be really fun, too. Pretty transparent stuff, guy coming to town and uh, acknowledging, uh, I don't need to take myself as seriously as I used to. I'm, I'm not that 27-year-old guy trying to prove to the world how great I am. I just want to do the job. Probably don't love hearing that if you're Oklahoma. Well, coached here for nine years, and then uh, you fired. I him, needed so. to become an assistant after that. I, I needed to become an assistant. I I hadn't learned everything yet. Well, why didn't you tell us? <laughs> and you know, there's there's probably a lot of truth to that. But then again, I understand what he's talking about in terms of seeing what you see from Mike Shashevsky as a player versus what you see as an assistant coach, right. and how maniacally they scout and prepare and attend to every detail. Uh, you know. Mike Bray, the Notre Dame coach, is, is a former Krzyzewski assistant. Uh, Pitt would trade places with Notre Dame in an, a heartbeat. Tommy Amaker, a former Krzyzewski player, is running the show at Harvard, and there are a lot of limitations with the Ivy League, and Harvard's a very good Ivy League team. Chris Collins is the head coach at Northwestern. They made the NCAA tournament for the first time ever, ever last year. I mean, these guys go on and succeed. Uh, if you can't beat Coach K, get some guys who know Coach K to join you. That's what Pitt has done. I think it's going to work, but specifically, what's it going to look like? Who you have on your team determines your style. You know, I like man-to-man defense. If you watched us this at Duke, you wouldn't have thought that this year, but I like man-to-man defense. I like being versatile. I like players that are versatile, players that can guard multiple positions and and do, you know, different things offensively. I want to have a point guard. That's really, in my opinion, that's the only true position in the game anymore. If you look at the game now, it's completely different. They're, they're, you know, so having a point guard is, is, is very, very important. But the main thing is that we want to play hard and we want to play together. You know, we need, we need to have the right attitude. We need to be all about the team, what's best for the team. And the thing I talked to these guys about when I met with them earlier, like, we have to own this. This is ours, and we have to own it. And if we own it, you know, you care about it a little bit more. You'll invest a little bit more into it. You know, you won't take it for granted, all those things. And so that's, that's what I want my teams to be about. A couple things that impressed me about this guy. Uh, the way the program was set up, the athletic director, Heather Lake, introduced him, and then he spoke for a while, then he took some questions, and then he – Took some questions in smaller groups. It was about 45, 50-minute process. Never had a note card in his hand. Just spoke in response to whatever. Yeah. Uh, very comfortable, very down-to-earth, very transparent. I asked him at one point, how many guys do you actually have on this team because of all the reports of players asking for and being granted their releases? And he said, I don't know. That's honest. I respect that. He said, this is how college basketball works now. He said, at Duke, we never knew who was going to be back on the team from one year to the next because they all could have gone pro. So, you know, you figure it out, you find out what you have to work with, and you go from there. Uh, it was, it's okay to say I don't know sometimes. You don't have to just BS an answer. Yeah. And the other big winner I thought was the AD, Heather Like, who actually said, uh, and I quote, relationships matter. She didn't use a search firm. She did it old school and talked to people who know the people in the game and who's good at what they do, X and O's wise. And then uh, her and her people interviewed them and talked about uh, sorting through the personalities and who would be the right fit that way. And she acknowledged they did make an offer to Dan Hurley of Rhode Island, and he didn't take it. But 
She said Jeff Capel was the second offer. That's awesome. Coming up, you know, up front. Yeah, we wanted the other guy. He said, no, this is the guy we got. We're very happy with now, this I like guy. the way she handled this. I mean, they yeah. were getting lambasted, I and, she, and really she kept her up, head down. Yep, and Yeah, and didn't get distracted by the noise and got the job done. Because there was a lot of noise. This guy is uh, – I knew nothing about him personally. A lot of people knew his resume and who he was and where he was and how he was maybe going to be the successor to Coach K or a guy who was going to get a job somewhere else. I didn't listening to him speak. He's a really interesting guy. That's great. I think fans will gravitate to this guy. I'm super happy for Pitt, at least, man. At least until they lose to Robert Morris. <laughs> well, hey, you know, coming out of what Kevin Stallings yeah. left him with, he he's got to start from scratch. Could be he, forgiven to have a bumpy yeah. start here. Need to give him a little time, but uh, they seem to have uh, the right attitude and the right people in place here. This is great yeah. news. You know, it's funny. I hadn't been to the Pete in a long time. Yeah. You sound like you got a little, uh, your juices going a little bit. Well, yeah, bit. there was really no reason to, right? And I'm sitting there listening to this guy talking, looking around like, yeah, this is really a nice place. I wonder why it doesn't work better here. It there's, has. There's no reason it shouldn't again, you know? It's, right. Uh, it's not an impossible dream. It wasn't that long ago, Mike. Nine it's... years ago, they were seconds from the Final Four. Wasn't that long ago. It was either today or yesterday in 2009 that they lost to Villanova. Uh, so it can be done. Pens are in Jersey tonight to take on the Devils. Pittsburgh 0-2-1 against New Jersey this season. New Jersey 3-0 against Pittsburgh. Uh, the Capitals were winners last night over the Rangers in overtime. Toronto beat Florida. Thank you, Leafs. And Philadelphia beat Colorado. So it's the Caps with 99 points in the Metro. The Pens have 92 the Flyers have 92, but have played one more game than Pittsburgh. And then uh, Columbus has 91 and New Jersey 88 as the Penguins come down the stretch. And take me out to the ball game. Major League Baseball season opens today. The Pirates are in Detroit to take on the Tigers. Ivan Nova against Jordan Zimmerman at 1.10 p.m. Uh, weather permitting, the Nationals-Reds game has already been postponed. ESPN.com. Yeah has uh, Houston rated number one in its power rankings. The Pirates are, believe it or not, 21st. Not last. Not second to last. Well, you know, again, they they got some better players in positions where they needed them. Yeah. Uh, they lost a couple of people that were fan favorites that they had a lot of hopes for, and they uh, seem to be repeating the same pattern of once they hit a certain point, so long. See ya. In the write-up uh, on the Pirates... ESPN.com says, quote, for all, this talk, for all the talk of tanking, the overall picture seems more milk toast than anything. So it's not that you're not trying. It's just that you're not trying very hard or with very now, very exciting people. There you go. Mike Pursuta. Thanks, man. So there's that. Bally's got news uh, top of the hour. What are you talking about there, Oh, well, I've got some interesting facts about Easter you might not know. It's the DV Morning Show. Stan Saverin talking pens a little bit later on this morning was cheer, you know, all the talk about Roseanne being huge. Yeah. And and a lot of people wanting to bring back classic sitcoms once again mm-hmm. and put them in present day. Well, reboots. Rebooting Cheers. How does that sound? <clears throat> who would who would star in it? All the people from Cheers? The original cast, the whole original cast, only except one, for Coach. Only one problem. Yeah, Coach was I mean it was Woody Harrelson by the end. Yeah. You know. Um only one problem. Cheers might have been ripped off from the get-go. What? Wait till I show you the, the evidence, Val. Well, I'll tell it to you. I, I won't show it to you. <laughs> uh, that'll be on the way. Uh, also, 
the delete Facebook thing picking up tons of momentum right now. Yeah, a lot of companies getting a lot of companies, board. a lot of celebrities making statements and jumping off Facebook. And uh, we're going to talk to an expert on why that is so hard to do a little bit later on this morning. Not why it's the steps are difficult, but why the emotional toll, why people don't want to let go. The commitment. Of Facebook. Hey, the 7th Annual Cure Rock concert this Friday at the Hard Rock. I'll be the MC once again. The Alternate Roots, national uh, touring headliner, Nevada Color and Working Breed, two local Pittsburgh stalwarts in support on that show. Cure Rock is a, a great organization to uh, raise awareness and funds for the fight against childhood cancer through live music. Doors open at 7 p.m. Music starts at 8. There's uh, going to be a silent auction, a 50-50 raffle, the whole deal. And that's Friday at the Hard Rock, Cure Rock TV. Are you getting the robocalls a lot lately? Does yeah. your cell phone get them more than ever? Yes. So does mine. They have this new trick that they have been doing where they take your phone number and the first three digits of your phone oh, number. Oh, that one infuriates me. And then it'll come on. So it looks like, oh, well, I'm, this has to be someone close to me. It looks yeah. like my number. Maybe I'll answer. Well, there's been a preponderance of those and a bunch of the fake IRS calls and the Fed calls. Mm-hmm. So I got this call yesterday. On my phone. It's filed against you by the federal authorities. So before the things go worst against you, kindly call us back at 703-537-1993. I repeat it, 703-537-1993. Don't disregard this message and do return the call. As delay in calling us back might end up into a legal prosecution I mean, against your name. Oh, that'd be so bad. So we hope that you justify in this situation as soon as possible. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, I mean, that sounded like a real lady. <laughs> and it sounded like there's real consequences. Well, Val, I had enough. I'm calling him. Oh. Just put him to hear this. Because I'm sick and tired of dealing with this. these pe- people. Hello, is this Mr. Obama? Wait, how do they know my name? I'm calling from my work number. How did you know it was me? Sir, hold on. Uh, while I connect you with our supervisor. <laughs> oh, perfect. See what they're doing here? Yeah. They're even pretending to be patriotic officers of the government. I mean, they've really stretched this ruse out a little bit too thin for me. Honestly, I'm sick and tired of the old... Hello, Rand. Mom? Hi, honey. How are you? Mom, what the hell are you doing working with the phony robocall criminals? Well, my kids are busy, and Mom gets knocked down the pecking order on the callback list sometimes, so I signed up with Telemometer. Telemometer? Yeah. It's a new service, hon, that scares people into calling their moms. I just, I gave them your phone number. No, you gave them my phone number? Why did you give me my phone number? Yeah, and zip code, and birthday, and your first pet name, and the street you were born on. No, those are such strange questions. Those are password questions. I learned about it from the Nigerian man who's been emailing me to make sure my network is secure. Stop emailing him. Mom, what did you want to talk to me about? Well, hon, I wanted to remind you to go to confession before we attend the vigil mass Saturday. I don't want to go to the vigil mass. It takes forever, and there's no Wi-Fi in there. Oh, ring. Offer it up, honey. Offer Offer it up. Remember, you're not the one on the cross, hon. Yeah, well, you know, at least I'd get good reception up there, okay? St. Greg's <laughs> is like being in Capone's vault. I get no balls. <sighs> I am going to send an email to my prayer circle to pray for forgiveness for that blasphemy 
And for those Stephen Hawking jokes about his boners that okay. your cousin Timmy <laughs> told me about. All right, so now I'm being condemned for comments you heard secondhand. Ran, your show's not for mom. I know we that. We talked about mm-hmm. this. Yes, I know. It's not for mom. Thanks for calling me back, hon. Stop tricking me to, with these fake federal investor calls. Love you. Yeah, all right, love you too. Oh, before I go, Harvey oh. Vina, a boy you went to second grade with. Don't remember him at all. No. Well, he was he was in your class for three weeks in the month of November. <laughs> anyway, I, I don't his re- stepmom, Mary Agnes, died. Don't yeah, know her. I thought you might want to send flowers no, or I, call. Don't. It'd be important to me. All right, okay, I'll try. <laughs> Bye, Mom. Don't forget to fast on Friday. No Netflix or Atari. Yeah, yeah, my mom. She's uh, <laughs> she's the best. I said balls. I meant bars. <laughs> I meant bars. I get no bars. <laughs> Plenty of balls at St. Greg's. Just no bars. An overwhelming amount. The overwhelming amount. Crows doing an R&B classic. It's the DVE Morning Show. It's the DV Morning Show. Val's got your news coming up next. Valerie, what are you talking about? Uh, we're going to talk about some interesting Easter facts you may not have known. Are you smarter than a Crossroads Scholar? On April 7th, I'll be taking part in the contest to find out if I uh, can hang with the uh, high school kids who are Crossroads Scholars. Crossroads is a great organization that helps kids get uh, the education they need if they they might be in a situation where they they can't afford it, they're not able to receive it. Well, Crossroads uh, qualifies lots of kids to get to the higher level, and uh, this is a big benefit for them. Going on at Safalos down in Carnegie. Uh, Go to CrossroadsFoundation.org to learn more about it, and uh, you can come see me do like an Are You Smarter Than a Fifth Grader thing with like accomplished high school academics and I'm going to get my ass handed to me. Me and Emilio from uh, Azazu, Lisa Sylvester, I think Lynn Hayes Freeland from KDKA are going to be there. Once again, that is next Saturday, April 7th at Safalos. Mike has your sports uh, coming up around the uh, 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 the corner here, 730. You'll meet the new pit coach and also Penn's getting ready for Jersey tonight. They're playing the Devils. It's 50 degrees at DVE. The news is brought to us by Golden Oak Lending. A judge is allowing lawsuits against Saudi Arabia for planning the September 11th attacks to move forward. Most of the hijackers were Saudi natives, and the suits argue that the kingdom is responsible. While Saudi Arabia wanted the suits thrown out, a federal judge in Manhattan said yesterday there is a reasonable basis for the suits under a 2016 law called the Justice Against Sponsors of Terrorism Act. The judge did dismiss claims against two Saudi banks and a construction company owned by the bin Laden family, arguing they helped fund the attacks, which killed nearly 3,000 people. Today is National Vietnam War Veterans Day. The Defense Department will observe the holiday with a wreath-laying ceremony at the wall, the Vietnam Veterans Memorial in Washington. The Blackstone V-shaped wall is inscribed with the names of more than 58,000 servicemen and women who died in Southeast Asia and those listed as missing in action. Congress authorized and former President Barack Obama launched the Vietnam War commemoration in 2012 and President Trump signed the Vietnam War Veterans Recognition Act one year ago today. And one of the most famous Vietnam War veterans, John McCain, his new book is reportedly going to be titled The Restless Wave, Good Times, Just Causes, Great Fights, and Other Appreciations, and is said to be a no-holds-barred opinion on Washington, D.C. Publisher Simon & Schuster says the memoir will cover everything from the 2008 election through today, along with quite a list of other things. That book is said to be released in late May. Did you, uh, do you remember... The uh, parts of the documentary on PBS, the Ken Burns documentary on Vietnam, 
featuring John McCain. Mm-hmm. Um, did you watch it? I don't remember. Parts of it. I didn't watch all of it. That I never realized they had so much footage. I knew he was a hero from the war, mm-hmm. and I knew that he, that he had been shot down. I didn't realize he was like a big deal back then. I didn't realize it was like happening in front of the nation, and there was video footage of him after having been caught, like in the hospital mm-hmm. and stuff. I, that that was all remarkable to me. And then uh, we talked with Ken Burns in the lead up to that. And he said uh, that McCain just sat in the studio with him after he recorded his parts mm-hmm. for the documentary. Uh, he wanted to see the stuff that Ken Burns had. And he just sat there for hours watching everything he had and like commenting on it and stuff. Yeah. Like just, you know. Pretty fascinating. Oh, man. Incredible. Scientists may have discovered a new human organ that could help with the advancement of cancer research. A new study says layers beneath the skin that were thought to be connective tissues are actually fluid-filled compartments that scientists have dubbed the interstitium. The interstitium! You knew it was there all along. I've been telling you my (laughs) interstitium hurts. Researchers say it may be the body's biggest organ and could lead to the understanding of how cancer and other diseases spread. This is a big, big deal that I'm too dumb to articulate. But when I read it, here's like uh, one of the takeaways from it. There are a lot of things that people, well, you don't understand why that works, but it works. Well, this will explain it. One of those, acupuncture. Because, like, it's it's actually only going into the interstitium. Oh, so that... And it's like reju- sends the yeah, it's like sending, it's like it's stimulating the nerves in the interstitium. But how weird is that? It's like basically the th- the uh, fourth river underneath the three rivers. Crazy, you know that we're like yeah, there's one under there, but it's it's underground. That's ba- that's basically <laughs> right. we should call that river the interstitium. <laughs> Uh, Pittsburgh's grazing goats will likely be back to clean up parks and city-owned property this year. City Council approved an agreement that would allow Allegheny Goatscape to graze its goats on city property for five years. They've been used over the past several years to clean up poison ivy and brush. The council is expected to give a final vote next week. Yeah, you ever see those uh, goats when they're penned off places? They have the donkey to protect them. Yeah, and I always feel bad for the donkey. Because the donkey's there so the coyotes don't come and eat the goats. <laughs> but the donkey doesn't know that. The donkey's <laughs> just bait. hanging out. He's just sitting there. The donkey is bait. And then, uh, you know, one of these days, a coyote's going to come up and the goat's going to be like, you got to fight that thing. And he's going to be like, what are you talking about? Have at it. They're like, dude, you got to. that's why you're here. Fight the coyote. <laughs> it's like, I'm just a donkey. I don't want to do anything. Love to get the goats out of my house. Just to eat everything. Just to eat all the poison ivy. Come on, clear it out. Yeah, you've been down uh, in your property cleaning out the poison ivy looking like Walter White. <laughs> you have the hazmat well, suit on. I've never had poison ivy, but my husband has, and he's really sensitive to it, so he has me super paranoid about it. So I cover basically cover everything but my face, like Kenny, like just this little yeah. pocket of face sticking out. I think that's smart of you to have that little pocket of face. Man, there's some big poison ivy vines back there. I saw the stuff you were they're dragging. Huge. I, how do you know they're that big? I mean, how do you know they're poison ivy? I Cause guess. it's like a hairy vine. <laughs> <laughs> it's a big, thick, hairy, hairy vine. vine. Ah. That climbs up the tree. They mm. say that's poison ivy and you, the leaves of three leave, let it be. Oh, okay. That's what the Beatles song is about. Yes. Mm-hmm. 
Um, the first ever male cheerleaders in the NFL will be on the L.A. Rams sidelines this season. Quentin Perron and Napoleon Hines are among the team of 40 dancers, which up until now were all female. Both men are professionally trained dancers and had to go through a rigorous three-week-long audition camp that included a ton of rehearsals and interviews. The Ravens and the Colts have male stuntmen, but these guys are going to be the first male dancers for an NFL team. Randy, do you still use that? Male um, dancers? Yeah. Male cheer- cheerleaders. I don't think that's working. Do any pro sports have male cheer? I know college has male cheerleaders, but... I don't believe so. I don't know if any pro sports Typically do, but... not a huge draw. No. Uh, do you, Randy, still use the sleep tracker thing from your bed? No, it was too depressing. <laughs> Every time well, I you saw should it. really get on it because a growing number of people use them and the people who do uh, use those sleep trackers are healthier overall. Why? Because you... You pay attention and you make changes. Science has shown that people who are better rested tend to be more productive and have fewer illnesses. One woman says since she started using the tracker, she has she has had much more restful sleep. She said she really had to adhere to a routine for bedtime. She discovered she needs to turn off all her screens about an hour before she thinks she might go to sleep. So no TVs, no laptops, computers, phones, all that. And she noticed that boozing at night... And having caffeine after four o'clock both affected her sleep. I uh, I scored a seventy-five out of a hundred last night. What is that like a C average? Yeah. So that's it's pretty good. Oh really? For I mean, you for me, or but my hundred percent level is six and a half hours. Like I want to at least get six and a half. So yeah. I got. Oh, you get to set the parameters. Yeah. So it was own? like, what is your ideal night of sleep? Oh, okay. And I so I always put six and a half hours, and it said that I got six hours. Uh, and um, tw- six hours and two minutes, I was in bed. So if you five hours bed, and forty two minutes of sleep, that's not very good. That's what I get all the time. So if you set I'm it for die very young. So if you set it for eight hours, which is the amount of sleep you should get, you'd have a really bad. Score. Yeah, there'd be horns going off. <laughs> <laughs> it'd be telling me to go back to bed. That's why I don't look at well, it. Well, maybe you need to set it for eight, and that will help you make better. Uh, adjustments. There's no way I'm getting eight hours of sleep. I nobody, know, but n- nobody's gonna. Nobody gets eight hours of sleep anymore. I think most people think seven. If you're an adult, is basically like your fingers crossed, hoping for seven. And I don't believe any of that hours. crap they say about it not working on the weekend to make up for it, because I make up for it. <laughs> I sleep in. I will sleep so much on the weekend. I like to can. sleep on the weekend. I mean, if I can't, I just try to get eight and a half, nine hours at least. So if you go to bed at four, you get up at noon. <laughs> yeah. What's wrong with that? Well, here are some interesting things you never knew about Easter. This is from housebeautiful.com, By which the way, I'll has have you all know, the best information. I had 56 beats per minute heartbeat last night. Is that good? I don't know. That, <laughs> what all does it tell you? How many breaths per minute? I had 15 breaths per minute. And it's 56. So it's breaths, heartbeat. Time in bed, restful, restful sleep. sleep. It also, if you get up to pee, it shows you. A disturbance? Yes, yeah, there's a disturbance in the forest. <laughs> what if you have a nightmare? Well, I mean, it'll say it's on, It's not restful. I got up at, I was I was restless at like, it looks like it's like 3 o'clock. And then uh, shortly thereafter, a little while later, I, I got up and, and peed. There's a big, see the big red line? <laughs> <laughs> Shouldn't that be the yellow one, by the way? Yeah, probably. I mean, 
Uh, so eggs are dyed to represent the blood of Jesus Christ. In, oh, is that why we do that? In Orthodox and Eastern Catholic churches, they're actually dyed red. Mm. Decorating eggs came from a Ukrainian tradition, the ornate eggs called paisankas. I probably said that wrong. Yeah, uh, but I had a I grew up with a Ukrainian girl and her parents they used to do this thing every Easter where they would like show us all the Ukrainian very eggs. Very fancy. Yeah. They're made using wax and dyes. I think the Ukrainian um church in Carnegie has like a egg festival. Oh, I don't cool. know. I don't know if it was last week or the week before, but um it wasn't until Ukrainian immigrants came to the US the colorful custom caught on. Giving eggs is a symbol of rebirth in many cultures. It represents new life and fertility and rebirth in many places around the world. Most adults prefer milk chocolate to dark. So remember that if you're buying your bunnies. Uh, speaking of the bunnies, most Americans bite the ears off the chocolate bunny first. 76% do that. You're basically a sociopath if you don't. <laughs> You're just trying to torture a bunny. Americans will consume more than 16 million jelly beans. We'll eat more than 600 million peeps. I will have probably neither of those. Yeah, neither will I. Pretzels are linked to Easter, too. Supposedly, it's because the twists of the pretzel look like arms crossed in prayer. Uh, buying a new outfit for Easter. Did you have to do that when you were a kid? Or were you an altar boy, so it didn't matter? I was an altar boy, but yeah, there was not. uh, I was an altar boy, and then I became the organist. Oh, I should I should dig out some of the Easter pictures and post them on Facebook or Twitter. Just like spring dress with a little hat on, and well, in my house it would have been whatever you saw my older brother wearing. I would wear the next Easter. (laughs) So there weren't a lot of new outfits. Uh, and back in the mid 1800s in New York, uh, speaking of the outfit, people believe buying new clothes to wear on Easter would bring them good luck for the rest of the year. Okay, sure. So there are your facts you may not have known about Easter. Courtney Love owes the IRS big time. Multiple reports indicate Kurt Cobain's widow has an unpaid 2016 tax bill of more than five hundred sixty-eight thousand dollars. The whole singer and Uncle Sam, far from strangers, just three months ago, she paid the government nearly 320000 that she owed on tax bills dating back to 2012. So hopefully she can get her affairs in order. How in the hell did she rack up that big of a tab? That's what I'm wondering, how she made that much money to owe that much in taxes. Does she own the like any of the Nirvana catalog? I believe so. So then that's probably why. So royalties from that. I would imagine are substantial. Might, somebody might still be playing some whole music. Mm, not really. Some celebrity skin. I don't know. Um, I mean, that's like a Billy Corgan album, basically, yeah. right? I, I don't know. It, it would be interesting to find out the trajectory of her finances and how many people ripped her off because she would have been so easy to steal mm-hmm. from for a long time. She was just blown out 24-7. But not a bad actress. If she's asked, Asked to be a blown-out drug addict. Right. Well, that's true. In the People versus Larry Flint, she was great. Yeah, they're like, play yourself. (laughs) Action. The alleged attempted stabbing case involving actor Corey Feldman is taking a strange turn. The former child star said three men attacked him and stabbed him Tuesday night in the L.A. area. Feldman posted pictures from the hospital on Twitter and said the LAPD is investigated. Uh, He also added that he's being targeted by people he calls part of a wolf pack who want him to keep quiet about sexual abuse in Hollywood. 
But the LAPD says Feldman was stopped at an intersection when an unknown male approached his car and made a stabbing motion toward the actor's stomach and fled. Police added Feldman suffered no lacerations to his stomach. Uh, Corey later said he thinks maybe he was injected with something in a syringe. I I wouldn't uh, put it past Corey to have imagined all of this, given all the psychosis that he is uh, enduring. Well, there, there got, were other people in the, the one story I read. There were other people in the car with him, so they would have been able to refute anything that he said. You know, maybe this guy did did just go the up. Cops to said him. it didn't happen the way he said it did, and the cops are like, "Yeah, this is not what happened." <laughs> so then maybe the guys in the car did say, "That's not what." Yeah. Happened. <laughs> so I, you know, I, I'm going to go with the cops over Corey Feldman on that one. Finally, Al Pacino is set to play Jimmy Hoffa in a new Martin Scorsese movie, but he's going to play Hoffa at the age of 39. This is so weird. He's yeah, 77 don't... years old. The movie is called The Irishman. It just film, uh, finished filming. Robert De Niro stars as hitman Frank Sheeran, who had a famous confrontation with Hoffa, and many people believe Sheeran is responsible for Hoffa's disappearance. If you're wondering how... He's going to play a 39-year-old. Reports say CGI will basically turn back time to make Pacino and De Niro look younger, which that, will be interesting to see. I don't know why they wouldn't just have younger actors play them. I don't know. Play um, the character or the people. It's like um, it, Scorsese's afraid to work with anybody else. Well, yeah, Joe Pesci is also in the movie, along with Harvey Keitel, Bobby Cannavale, and Action Bronson. The rapper. And reality TV guy. And oh, he's a reality I think TV he's guy? Got, he's got like a food show on Viceland. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Cooking with Action Bronson? Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> that's going to air on Stupid. Netflix next year. I'm an year. idiot. Yeah, that'll be, uh, that'll be cool. I love Pacino, but we need to get new Pacinos. We need to celebrate the new Pacinos. And who are they? I, I, so people who I think are really good... Don't say that kid that's in Call Me By Your Name. No, I hate that kid. Yes, so do I. And he might be good. I don't know what his name is. Tim- Timothy. His last name sounds like a cheese. <laughs> mm, try the Chalamet. Mortadella. Uh, uh, I don't know. I oh, think that's there's... meat, isn't it? I was going to say like Mark Ruffalo, but he's like 50. Yeah, those aren't young guys. No. I don't know. Maybe there are no good guys. No. You know, the, was... you know the best one is Tom Hardy. Tom Hardy's oh, unbelievable. I will watch anything he's in. I love him. All right. I, I, I get it. You think he's hot? And well, not even that. I think he's a good, great actor. The first he's movie a I great, saw him great in actor. was Warrior, which I think they filmed mm-hmm. here. I'm like, I didn't know who he was. And I thought he was an MMA fighter that they just had act in this movie. You should see him in Peaky Blinders. I started watching it. I got bored. It's tough. The first episode's tough, yeah. and then it gets good. Okay. I don't know why the, well, the first episode stinks. I'll give it another chance then. But, yeah, no, no. The rest of them are really good. And and when his character gets introduced, it's just he, the you know, he lights up the screen and it explodes. The Drop. Do you ever see that movie? Love that movie. Great. Totally underrated movie. Watch it every time I see it. It's kind of under okay. the radar. Yeah, I never knew I never knew of it in theaters. It's not Gandolfini's on- last movie, right? It might be. I think the one with Julie Louis Dreyfus might be, but uh, or maybe it is. That is really good. He's good in the craze, though. I didn't make it all the way through that because the accents were a little too thick. Um, what was the movie he played the twins? The craze. Roger- oh, That's that was the- it. Yeah. Well, maybe it's not called the craze. Yeah. But he played the Cray twins. Yeah. 
But so he is one person who I'd say is the next like Pacino. Like I think he's the drop was Gandolfini's last movie. Okay, it was great flick. Yeah, Tom Hardy. Oh, I love him. Speaking of Al Pacino, all right, if he's going to keep doing roles at 77 and they're just going to computer image him to be uh, younger, let's computer image him to be Alf. Here's, <laughs> here's Frank Caliendo. DVE Sports. Mike Pursuta with your sports right now on the DVE Morning Show. And congratulations to the Pitt Panthers because they seem to have landed uh, themselves the coach of the future. Certainly got a guy that uh, nobody thinks isn't a very good choice for what promises to be a very difficult but not an impossible job in rebuilding the Pitt basketball program, basically from scratch. Sports is our brought to you by Golden Oak Lending. Uh, when I say rebuild from scratch, uh, Jeff Capel, the new man who was introduced yesterday at the Peterson Event Center, doesn't even know as we speak how many guys are actually on his team. The coach has been fired. Guys have left. Uh, scholarship players have requested and been granted their release. Now they are uh, the option to return exists for those guys. Right. But he, Jeff Capel, could not say yesterday. I have four guys. I have three scholarship players, two walk-ons, and a couple of recruits. I he he does not know what his team will be comprised of. But I like how he answered your question though by saying. That he didn't know, and yeah. then explaining, hey, that happened to Duke because you know we thought the guys were going pro. But you know, he could have said when you asked him how many guys are on the team, he could have said, "Boy, that's a good question," as if it hadn't occurred to him. Yeah. Oh no, I'm <laughs> yeah. sure. Yeah, he. I don't think there. I don't think you're going to hear that. It didn't occur to me ever from this guy. I think, based on his background with Mike Shishovsky, he is going to be thoroughly prepared, right, and detail oriented, and diligent in doing what needs to be done, or you know, delegating to his staff. He didn't have a staff yet. But uh, he also talked about Virginia Tech when he took over there. as an, He was an assistant and then became the head coach. So one of the first things he did was tell three guys, you're gone because you're not with the program I want to have. So it's it, college basketball is uh, an industry that fluctuates from year to year in a lot of places, and it's a little more extreme here. But nothing that uh, Jeff Capel doesn't think he can handle uh, as to how Pitt got around to offering uh, the job to Jeff Capel, uh, the athletic director, Heather Like talked about that process yesterday. Uh, people might remember that a couple of years ago, the former AD Scott Barnes needed to hire a replacement for Jamie Dixon, and he enlisted the services of a search firm, which a lot of people in the industry do. To me, that's a, a new way of doing things that isn't the right way. Uh, you, you know, somebody else does your due diligence, and then you pick from four or five guys. That's that's an arranged marriage. You yeah, know? that's not. I mean, athletic directors' their number one gig is fundraising. They've got to deal with the alumni and get the dollars coming in, and the donors and all that. Nothing runs without money, so that's number one. But they should also have an understanding of who the hot assistants are, who the good mid-major head coaches are, who are you know the guys considered to be the next guy, mm -hmm. the up-and-comers. Or, you know, maybe you go find a veteran that is unhappy or wants to make a move, whatever. But you got to have a feel for what's going on in your game, or in the case of Heather Lake, games, football and basketball being the most important. And she talked about those yesterday, uh, or I should say she talked about that process yesterday and how she leaned on a guy named Eddie Fogler, who uh, if, if you Google Eddie Fogler or you're from the 70s like I am, you remember that he was a former point guard at North Carolina. And then he went on to be a successful head coach at Wichita State, 
Vanderbilt and South Carolina. Heather Like uh, said she's had a long time uh, friendship with Eddie Fogler. She considers him a trusted advisor, mentor, friend, uh, a guy she leaned on as she called it her search consultant. And eventually, uh, after Bobby Hurley said thanks but no thanks to Pitt, they made an offer to Jeff Cable. Well, as an athletic director, that's my job, right? To figure out, um, you know, great potential candidates out there. And, um, you know, it's, it's, you have to always be thinking in those terms. Um, and you study coaches a lot. You know, I mean, I, you know, people think you just, we just go to games for a living. No, you know, you go to a game and you watch demeanor on sidelines. You watch relationships, just like a coach studies a recruit. I mean, that's what we do. And um, you, 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 you build relationships, I mean, across the industry. And you know people who know people who've worked with them or interacted with them. And, and um, so there's no question. And Eddie is, is a trusted advisor. So, you know, whether it's a basketball-specific question, you know, obviously he coached for a long time. And um, I'm going to trust his advice on the basketball side of things. But the people side of things is, you know, is what we need to assess. Oh, man, I really like her. I like the way she's handled this whole thing. Yeah, I like that she didn't deny they went after Danny Hurley first. That you know that there's no smoke and mirrors behind any of the yeah. because so, they were being criticized so roundly for so many things that may or may not have been happening behind the scenes. Because she just said, "Well, yeah, we went after Danny Hurley first, but then he was our second choice." Yeah. So it sounds like the concentrated effort was to go towards uh, uh, their eventual hire here in Capel and. Uh, we heard how many other coaches were thrown in the mix in the meantime. Yeah. See that and that's where these things kind of go off the rails because a lot of guys and I'm not accusing anybody specifically of this. I'm just saying in general when these things play out, guys will say, Oh, I'm not interested. Maybe they didn't get asked. <laughs> I'm not either. And then maybe thinking, Oh, now I can go to my A D and say, Hey, they, you know, school X came sniffing around. Okay, yeah. How about a little more uh something for the effort, Lama, you know, a little loyalty bonus. But I liked uh, it. It looked like there was all this confusion and that yeah. they were being turned down by everybody that they were they were pursuing. And in reality, they had targeted a couple candidates, raided them, went after the first one, didn't work out, and the second guy yeah. they locked down. And one of the reasons it took as long as it did is because Duke was still playing. And they wanted to be respectful of, hey, this, you know, this guy's got some stuff on the table right now. Duke's trying to get to the Final Four and win a national championship. Didn't work out that way. And uh, it went pretty quickly after Duke got knocked out. And did I read that there was another Duke assistant? That John Shire, who's also very thought of, and that's uh, he was targeted uh, by some people in the media, uh, locally and nationally, as a potential candidate. So Cable, the whole while talking to Pitt, is is like jagging him, going, "Hey, heard you talking to Pitt." And he, he's like, he threw that out a little bit yesterday. He talked about uh, he he's mentioned he is a Steelers fan, and he got a call from Mike Tomlin after. It became known that he was the guy. And he's, Capel explained it. That he saw a number on his phone, a 412 area code, and he didn't know if it was one of his players calling. And then he thought, when they get the voice on the other end said so it was Mike Tomlin, he thought that it was Shire pranking him. Because apparently <laughs> Shire does that. And he mentioned at the time that, the, yeah, some of you guys had John Shire coming here. Oh, that's that's hilarious. But, well, I'm, but I'm really Capel happy. also is one of the reasons that worked out that way is Capel was perceived in some circles to be Mike Shashevsky's eventual successor at Duke. So then you get into like one of those Tom Bradley, Joe Paterno situations. How long do you wait? You know, if you're the guy, but the guy, if you're the next guy, but the guy isn't right. apparently leaving anytime soon, how long is that next guy going to wait 
Uh, it, I think Belichick, it worked, Josh McDaniels. It worked out really well yeah. for Pitt. There's not one guy that can do this job. But there are guys who will be capable of doing it and guys who will not. And you got to get your guy from the right pool, and I think they did. It's just, you know, nine, nine years ago, they were, as you pointed out, seconds from the Final Four. And so that's not that long ago. To no. me, this is all just a recent stumble. But if you don't nip it in the bud, then all of a sudden it becomes the identity of your program. So to turn around and just you know quickly uh, forget the Stallings era and uh, and move forward here will be a great thing for Pitt. I- I'm super psyched for him. You know, and I think the thing with college basketball, too, is everybody, there's a lot of players everywhere. And you need five at a time. Now, you need more than that. But it's not like building a football program where you're talking 80 to 100 people that have to be, you know, among the best yeah. or capable of competing with the best. You just got to figure out how you want to do it and go get guys that can do that. And there's a lot of different ways to do it. You look at Villanova, which is in the Final Four and maybe poised to win the whole thing again. This would be the third national championship for Villanova. Back in uh, when Villanova beat Georgetown in the 80s, Villanova wasn't anything. That was That was... David beating Goliath, right? Raleigh Massimino. And now all of a sudden Villanova, they won it a couple years ago, might win it again. It's You can build it and sustain it at a lot of different types of schools. Uh, Michigan's in the Final Four. Uh, Michigan is not exactly a perennial Final Four participant. It doesn't have a long list of national titles. Um, it can be done, and it, it was it was being done really well here not all that long ago. And uh, it's very, it's going to be very exciting to see uh, what Jeff Capel can do if it. All right. Well, we'll talk a little Penguins later on this morning. They got the uh, Devils in Jersey tonight. Stan Saverin will join us for that. Uh, I want to remind you this Friday, Cure Rock at the Hard Rock. I'll be your host once again uh, for uh, a night of great music, which will benefit Cure Rock in their efforts to raise awareness and funds for the fight against childhood cancer through live music. And uh, National Touring Act, the Alternate Roots, will be on hand. Local support from uh, two great Pittsburgh bands, Nevada Color and Working Breed. Seven o'clock doors for the eight o'clock show at the Hard Rock Silent Auction 50-50 raffle. And it all benefits uh, kids and adults, uh, uh, young adults uh, who are suffering from cancer. So this is a, it's a great night for a great cause. We'll see you at the Hard Rock on Friday night. It's the DVE Morning Show. Randy Bauman, Val Porter here. Bill's on vacation and he'll be back next week um, later this morning. Uh, 8.15, as a matter of fact, Michael Krieger will join us. He's a uh, uh, Ph.D. at uh, Penn State. He was a uh, part of this online Scientific American uh, column, Why It's So Hard to Delete Facebook. But it was not about, like, the steps to get out of it. It's the emotional toll. Why we can't get rid of it. Why are we so attached can't to give it? it up. I'll tell you why I am. Uh, I always see articles on Facebook that corroborate my way of living and tell me that that means I'm a genius. <laughs> And it's tailored to everybody. Right. But that makes me feel good because, you know, without fail, I can open up Facebook and there will invariably be an article that's titled New Study Reveals Falling Asleep with Fioris on Your Chest (laughs) May Actually Be a Sign of Superior Intelligence. And I'm like, see, I'm a genius. That just means I'm smart. There's always these. It feeds you. Yeah, there's these articles that always. Excuse your bad behavior as some sort of like, uh, you know, designator of genius. But I don't it's know. It's the analytics. Yeah. Well, I'm telling you. They, they get to you. They do. And we talked briefly yesterday about the amount of information they have. And I know everybody says, well, what did you think? 
Did you not think they were going to have all this stuff on you? I did, but when you see it laid out. The Google thing. The one guy who downloaded his Google file, they had five gigs of information, of data, micro data on him, which was, I I don't remember how many, was it three million Word documents? I think it was more than that. It would have filled up that many pages, and they just knew everything he did, every place he's been. Every search, how long it took him to get somewhere. Terrifying. Steps he took. Right. But ignoring that is actually, a new study proves, a sign of superior intelligence. (laughs) Uh, The premiere of Roseanne. This is uh, the biggest television event in quite some time. 18.2 million viewers Tuesday night. Now, in fact, it was double what ABC was projecting. Double! Wow. They showed a graphic on the Today Show this morning, the cities where it did good, and it was... uh, Predictable, like sort of rust, but Pittsburgh was one of them. It was like Kansas City, St. Louis, Cincinnati, Pittsburgh. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it did great here. It was also more than the 16.6 million who tuned in for the series finale in 1997. How about that? More people tuned in for the reboot than the series finale. How long is this running? How many? Do you know how many episodes? I don't know the answer to that. If it's like a limited... I think it's a whole season. Because I know when Will and Grace, like within their first couple of ex, uh, episodes of the reboot, they signed them on for the next season. Yeah. Th- immediately. Mm-hmm. This uh, will, I'm sure, be uh, offered at least another season. Um, according to ABC, it was the highest rated sitcom broadcast on any network in nearly four years since an episode of The Big Bang Theory in 2014. Now, for the record, that measurement was the 5-5 rating it got in the coveted young adult 18 to 49 demographic. So since it's, since it's such a phenomenon, ABC is re-airing it on Sunday, the first two episodes that they, run, they ran concurrent. Uh, that's going to be Easter Sunday, April Fool's Day. They'll rerun, if you missed it, the first couple of Roseanne there. Um, Doesn't everybody have a DVR? Or VCR. Kind of. I mean, I guess that's part of why it's so remarkable that they drew such a big number. Because in 1997, when the finale ran, your only way to watch that, if you didn't watch it live, was a VCR. And now you have DVR, they're streaming, mm-hmm. there's so many different ways to, to view a program, but I'm... Assuming that number reflects the people who actually tuned in. Yeah. You know, it might it might include some DVR numbers for the first 24 hours or something like that, but that's a yeah, you have huge to wa- number. You have to watch it, with, and I think Billy told us that. You have to watch it within a certain period of time for it to count as a, a viewer. Right. So if you watch the DVR or the, the on next demand day. the next day, right, it'll it count. It uh, Donald Trump Jr. was among the Roseanne fans to dig the premiere. He tweeted, quote, wow, amazing. Congrats, Roseanne. If you're not too busy already, maybe work in a late night show, too. It seems there's some demand for an alternate viewpoint. Now, she's a Trump supporter on the show. They said in real life. too. Oh, she's huge. Yeah, tr- yeah big time. Uh, she's been tearing into those kids at Parkland. Uh, she uh, they made ABC made her delete some posts, apparently, mm-hmm. uh, because they, they want to keep the focus on the show, the show. not politics. She went out Kimmel the other night and articulated her viewpoint. And it's funny because you see John Goodman next to her and he's like uncomfortable with her <laughs> saying the stuff that she's saying. Yeah, that um, happens a lot. 
they say, the creators of the show, that it's not going to be political anymore going forward. Like, Whitney Cummings is one of the uh, writers and producers on the show. And she's, of course, had great success with her own shows. Uh, she said, this is, they're done. There's no more talk of this. But they wanted to establish their vantage points for this new season going forward. Yeah, I wonder if that would turn people off to come back for the second episode. I don't think so. I mean, gonna, if they thought that was going to be the show, a lot of comics yesterday on Twitter were defending it because so many people grew up worshiping that show. You know, Ron Funches was one of the guys who was saying, "Like, hey man, I love Roseanne. This has nothing to do with her political viewpoints. I don't care about that. You watched Archie Bunker. Everybody loved Archie Bunker. Why can't I love Roseanne?" And then people pointed out, well, because Carol O'Connor wasn't going on late night shows and espousing the same viewpoints as, uh, you know, the Archie Bunker character. And things are a lot different now than they were then. And it's a very extreme point of view as compared Mm -hmm. to then, which, you know, that's uh, that's argumentative. I don't think uh, it's going to affect it. I don't think they'll keep these ratings, but I think they're going to do great because everybody loves those characters. And it best reflected a point of view. In this country, not, and I'm not talking about the, the MAGA stuff, I mean just middle class. Middle, yeah, middle America, middle class people who just go to work and, and it come was home really funny. Always. Yeah, I, yeah, I never missed an episode. She's crazy, but I got news for you. They're all crazy. <laughs> the people you like, the people who you align with in Hollywood, they're not. Watch that Gary Shandling documentary. Yeah. And, you know, I loved Gary Shandling so much. I love the Larry Sanders show. Uh, I loved uh, the It's Gary Shandling show. Um, watching that documentary, I actually think I'm less of a fan. That's the danger when you find out what people are really like. That might have been just a big invasion of privacy. Judd Apatow goes in and reads his diaries after he's dead. And he's like, you know what? I'm putting this Well, how did he get HBO. them? I mean, he that must have saying- been... His family must have said, "Like, hey, you yeah, you can do have something. these." And or he may, Gary may have expressed that wish at some point. I don't know, but there's an awful lot of information out there about personal stuff. Yeah, but that would be one show that I would love to see rebooted. It would be great if the Larry Sanders show, if they did a spoof season of it, if you know Gary were still alive. Will and Grace is pretty good. I would say it's just a hair below what it used to be, but I still watch every episode. A big part of it has to be nostalgia, right? Mm-hmm. You're watching it because you really love remembering how much you loved it. Yeah. I don't know how... I would love to know how many people are just discovering it. If Friends came on, would you watch it? Oh, I still watch it. So if they rebooted Friends, you'd watch it? Probably, but I don't think it would be as good. Joey would be a Trump supporter? I don't think those characters... I don't think those people could play those characters now. No, you know too much about them now. Yeah. They're, they have too much baggage. Especially Ross. <laughs> I just don't oh, think he's... Jules. Jules. <laughs> oh, guys. Uh, Johnny Galecki was uh, Leonard on Big Bang. He was also on Roseanne in the later seasons. He was Becky's boyfriend, right? Mm-hmm. And then David Healy. Who was David Healy? That was uh, John Galecki's character name in Roseanne. Oh, uh, okay. All right. I got you. All right. Um, yeah, so there's a commonality there. But John Goodman came back for it. Everyone came back for this uh, on the heels of an Oscar nomination. Uh, the actress who plays her sister, Lori Metcalf. thank you. She came back. And uh, I think it's going to do great. I just don't think it's going to keep up with 18 million people well, each we'll week. We'll see. But that is huge. You know, if Cheers came back, because it could. Cliff is an ardent Trump supporter. See, could you, could you see um, Woody Harrelson playing Woody Boyd? 
now after Natural Born Killers through True Detective through every other crazy no guy. No Country he's for played. Old Men. Yeah, yeah, could I'd be really? alright with it? Yeah, because he can retain that innocence. I think that's the Woody character is closer to him than any of the psychopathic stuff he did. I think. Yeah, I don't know. I just, I don't know. It would be great. However, the Cheers conspiracy would be revived if they did. I've been trying to get to this story for two days. I never heard it before, but Cheers, one of the most beloved beloved television shows of all time, was apparently straight ripped off. From who? I'll tell you about it coming up. What do you got next? Uh, Coming up in the news, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about what could have happened with Led Zeppelin. Jimmy Page became a Trump supporter. For <laughs> loving. It's 51 degrees at DVE. The news is brought to us by ChooseNissan.com. Several news organizations, including CBS and NBC, are reporting that prosecutors believe that Omar Mateen intended to go on a shooting spree at Disney World in Orlando. Reports say he planned on hiding a gun in a stroller to get it into Disney, but got spooked when he saw police and security. So instead, he chose to attack the Pulse nightclub. Prosecutors revealed that during closing arguments in the trial of Mateen's wife, Noor Salman. She is charged with obstruction of justice and aiding and abetting her husband in the attack and in providing material support to ISIS. Security is pretty tight. Getting into Disney. Mm -hmm. I think he would have had a tough time pulling that off. For the 27th year in a row, the Labrador Retriever is the most popular dog breed in the country. American Kennel Club Executive Secretary Gina DiNardo says the lab has its paws firmly planted in Americans' hearts. The German Shepherd and Golden Retriever took the number two and three spots, but a big move for an underdog this year. The French Bulldog jumped up two spots to number four and knocked the Beagle out of the top five for the first time since 1998. People love the Beagles. I uh, I can't handle the howling. The baying. Also, I like dogs that you can let off the leash. I, I think Beagles are sweet, but like I prefer a dog that like if they get a scent, they are gone. Yeah, but wouldn't any dog do that? No. Like if they see a rabbit or something, they chase it? Yeah, that's different. Yeah, but they're still gone. No, they don't always go, go and don't come back. Those things, they're like... They'll they'll go and go and go and go. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's just my the beagles in my life have done that. Maybe it's more about me. No, I think scent dogs do that. But Uh, New Jersey man finally knows why he can't get rid of his beer belly. Kevin Daly lost 34 pounds after undergoing open heart surgery in 2015, but he just could not shed his gut. New York Daily News reports after insisting on a CT scan, he was diagnosed with a rare form of cancer that develops in the fat cells. Doctors at Manhattan's Lenox Hill Hospital successfully removed a 30-pound tumor. Whoa. His belly is now gone. Doctors believe that tumor took 10 to 15 years to grow. Oh, man. Don't all uh, kids have bath toys? Pretty much everyone does. A study at the University of Illinois found your kid's rubber ducky is loaded with bacteria. And it probably, I'm guessing, applies to most bath toys. Researchers found that when they cut open rubber duckies, almost all of them had that murky water inside. It was filled with fungus and bacteria. I guess it gets in through that little, it's like a belly button thing on the bottom. (laughs) You know what I mean? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. The little, uh, yeah. And the bacteria is about 80%. Uh, in about 80% of them were enough to make kids sick. Researchers said regular tap water doesn't cause bacteria to grow, but the polymers in the rubber duckies and bath toys give them the nutrients they need to grow. 
Uh, sweat and urine and even contaminants in the soap and bath water can also help them grow as well. So what should you do? Either get a higher quality of rubber duck with different polymers, or they say just throw them away and buy new ones every so often. I uh, hadn't thought about it, but now I think of everything in terms of the germs because all the super bugs that are going on, mm-hmm. the flu is doing a round two. You heard about that, yeah, right? Yeah. So now it's coming back again. Uh, some guy in England has the worst case of, of gonorrhea ever. Ever. It's super gonorrhea. He has, he has super gonorrhea, <laughs> which I don't think Marvel's going to have any luck with that movie, but still. <laughs> it's like all these super bugs are popping up everywhere. And uh, part I think part of it might be the hand sanitizers and the, the wipes and stuff that we use to protect ourselves. I think that might be in Creating. conjunction with uh, warmer uh, scenarios. Creating drug-resistant yeah. bacteria yeah, and think, germs and all that. Well, I, you know, I, I don't know anything. So <laughs> that's that's my just dumb person guess at what's going on there. But yeah, they they say you know that all the hand sanitizer stuff that's you know ultimately bad. for Get you. dirty. Get out there. Yeah, play in the you, dirt. Your body needs to be able to like, build, build up, up a resistance antibodies. So what's more annoying? Somebody not holding the door for you. Or them not thanking you when you hold the door for them. Second thing. You would be in the majority. 74% of people surveyed think that not saying thank you is the worst offense. A worse offense. Well, yeah. There's Because the first one, you're like, all right, I get it. Some people just, uh, you know, they're very singular minded. Maybe sure. they're busy. You could make, you could rationalize it. And you kind of think, oh, this jerk. But the other way. It's not that they're not helping. It's that you are all of a sudden working for them. And they don't even acknowledge That's you. Right. It's like not getting the thank you wave once you let somebody in traffic. Got to get the wave. Don't you always, if wave. you don't get the wave, do you always yell at the person? Oh, I scream at the... <laughs> I, I what? You can't even uh, say thank you. I, even I when didn't they, have to let you in. <laughs> even when they do, I still swear at them, but I smile. I go, yeah, yeah, F you. Why? Go ahead. Skirt the whole line and go in front of me. No, I'm happy to help. <laughs> go ahead. But I like. I always try to give the thank you wave. In I my, overdo it. I'm like... My- <laughs> I'm like hitting the side window on the passenger, like, thank you. I always do it in the rear view mirror. Like I look in my mirror at them and I'm yeah. like, hey, uh-huh. how are you? I'll either do it in the side one or the Thanks very much. That was, <laughs> that was cool of you, but ultimately smart because traffic's going a lot smoother now because <laughs> you let me in. Especially if it's night, I I really wave extra in case, you know, the lights aren't shining right in my car. I just want to make sure. <laughs> <they see> <laughs> They should invent, they should put uh, like a little, you know how you shoot the toy gun and the flag comes out and it says something on the flag? Oh, so like confetti would come out they of your should, exhaust? They should put all that or just a flag that shoots up on the roof of your car. Like an emoji. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks. Hey, a-hole. <laughs> or it just pops up in your back windshield. Yeah. Just an emoji, just like, thank you. That's a good idea. We need it, to invent that. I, uh, there'll be an episode about that in Black Mirror season six. <laughs> Former model Janice Dickinson will testify against Bill Cosby at his sex assault trial. The judge has allowed prosecutors to call five of his accusers to the stand. Cosby is on trial for drugging and raping Andrea Constand in 2004. Prosecutors plan to show that the disgraced comedian has a long history of assaulting women. Dickinson claims Cosby drugged and raped her in 1982. That retrial begins next week. When the remnants of Led Zeppelin got together in 2007 for a one-off performance in London with Jason Bonham on drums, 
Holmes in place of his late father, John. Jason quit Foreigner because Jimmy Page was hoping that Robert Plant would change his mind about doing more than just one show. Not long after that, Jimmy Page, Bonham, and John Paul Jones got together in a studio and started tossing around ideas, hoping that Robert would change his mind and join them. Here is Jason Bonham talking about that experience. To be in a writing environment with those two, anybody would just jump at it, regardless what it was going to be called. And then one day, Stephen Tyler turns up, and Jimmy goes, if we'd have told you, you'd have told somebody, wouldn't you? So there, keep your mouth shut. Okay, it wasn't Led Zeppelin, but it was the music of Led Zeppelin with Stephen Tyler singing, and it was, it was still very cool, um, very enjoyable. And then it kind of just stopped. I'm, conf- I'm confused. About what? He didn't want Steven Tyler there? What no, he, he's, he didn't know that he was coming in. Okay. And Jimmy Page was like, I didn't tell you because you would have blabbed. Oh, all right. Okay, all right. Uh, the three also ended up working with Miles Kennedy from Alter Bridge and Slash's band uh, and the Conspirators. But That ultimately- guy. Man, is he the ultimate rock and roll free agent? I think so, yeah. He's, his name pops up all the time. Yeah, he, uh, the Slash and and uh, Miles Kennedy are back in the studio. Ultimately, though, Jimmy Page and John Paul Jones could not agree on a singer, and that's when the plug was pulled on everything. Jason Bonham will be here in Pittsburgh with his band, not Led Zeppelin Experience. It's now called Led Zeppelin Evening because he had to give experience to Jimmy Page. Uh, but his band, Whitesnake and Foreigner, will be here at P- at uh, KeyBank Pavilion, and that is June 27th. Uh, who is in the band Foreigner right now? I don't know. Sometimes Mick Jones plays, but not every show because it, of health reasons. Okay. And I know that Lou um, Graham had popped up on a few shows, but it was kind of hit or miss. He was doing solo shows, too. Yeah. So sometimes the band has no original members. That is very strange. Yes. Which when they played here mm, 10 years ago, maybe? No original members. No original members. Are there any other touring bands that have no original members that do any numbers at all? (sighs) Skinner's very close. Yeah, well, they're done. Yeah, because of that. This is their final tour. I can't think of it. I mean, probably some oldies bands. That tour, and yeah, just like somebody the four tops. Bought, yeah, somebody like, bought the name. Like, Actually, it's no top. <laughs> it's four guys who are just topping. Rainy, foggy today, low 60s for the high. It's 51 a DVE. So um, our producer Joe and I were kicking this article around yesterday from uh, Scientific America, which was talking about why it's so hard to delete Facebook. It originally appeared in The Conversation online, and uh, one of the authors of that book, a Penn State PhD, Michael Krieger, joining us right now. Hi, Michael. How are you? Good. How are you doing today? Good. I Man, when I read this, I was like, oh, yeah, this is, this is what it did to us. This is why we can't <laughs> let go of Facebook. Now, right now, people like, you know, celebrities like Will Ferrell are standing up and saying, this is, I'm getting rid of my Facebook because it's dangerous, mm-hmm. and all of these companies are, are jumping off board, too. Um, you really did a good job of explaining what the hold is, the stuff that you, you know, you guys kind of nailed it all. One of the things I thought was like for me was it really did fortify some friendships with people, even though it was largely based on Facebook, but it really Mm -hmm. buoyed a lot of the friendships I had. 
Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, there's there's a lot of research that, that shows and has demonstrated over the past decade or so that, uh, you know, when you're active on Facebook, it actually does kind of reinforce some of the ties you have in, rea- in real life, but also kind of uh, uh, has the potential to create new ties. And that's actually Facebook's goal. You know, if you ask Mark Zuckerberg, he'll tell you it's to create this kind of boundless community. Um, and to the extent that they're doing that, I think, is, is up for debate. Yeah. He's naively assuming that that's always going to be good. Exactly. Um, so the other thing that you guys talked about, which I also thought was this ring true, uh, it allows you to mold the image that you want to project. So everybody gets to be their own PR person. Mm-hmm. And I know that there's been people who I've only known, you know, mostly through Facebook. When I meet them, I'm like, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> and I'm sure people have thought the same thing about me who only knew me through Facebook. Like, oh, well, he's more of a jag than, a, than I thought. <laughs> Because you get to put your best foot forward out there. Certainly, yeah. And I think that's that's one of the big appeals for Facebook and for social media sites in general, other platforms like the Facebook-owned Instagram, for example, where it's essentially uh, providing you the uh, power to shape your own identity in whatever way you choose. And, and for some people, that's really good. You know, it yes. allows people to explore their identity in a safe space, you know, for for. Uh, young people, that's especially important. Um, but for others, that can have negative effects, you know, when, when you look around on your Facebook and in social media and everybody else seems to be doing so much better than you, it can trigger uh, negative social comparison that uh, actually has negative social, negative psychological outcomes. And that's, but, you know, people don't want to let go of it for that reason, though, because they feel like this is their, this is their uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders. It is their spokesperson at all times. Uh, exactly, and there are so many people who it's the it's the opposite, like you said, where well, I know them personally, and I think like I you know they're the greatest, and then they put stuff online, and you're like, oh man, I wish you'd get off Facebook, mm-hmm. like you're you're mm-hmm. so not that person, but you just don't know how to present yourself in that forum without coming off, you know, uh, exactly like you're not. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I mean it's. It, it's it's important not to write it off as completely negative because there are some some you know important uh, ways in which it does allow people you know people from vulnerable uh, vulnerable communities marginalized identities to explore like I said in a space that's a little more forgiving than maybe the real world is uh, but again it, it has the potential if if it's abused to to trigger all sorts of negatives psychological outcomes another thing you guys talked about which is the number one reason why i have trouble with the idea of letting go of it completely is mm-hmm. fomo the fear of missing mm-hmm. out there's so many things that i learn about going on in my town because of the forum uh, on facebook yeah yeah and i think that's a that's not uncommon i think uh all of us have this kind of deeply rooted psychological need to to keep in touch with uh, the world around us and to, to know what's going on and to feel like we're in the loop. And that's that's uh, uh, one of the things that Facebook and other social media provide. They provide a kind of nice, easy platform curated for us. We don't even have to do any work uh, that allows us to kind of inventory our surroundings, uh, what's, what's kind of called in the literature surveillance gratification. Uh, it allows us to kind of understand and to know our environment and to act in our environment uh, as social beings in a way that uh, uh, isn't necessarily uh, possible without social media and without uh, the, the infrastructure that the Internet provides. 
Now, the other thing, the validation factor of Facebook. Mm-hmm. Like, everybody likes getting the likes. And it, it can be tough to let go. I mean, how do you, how do you convince somebody, like, ah, you, you don't need those likes? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I think if I knew the answer, I'd probably be making a lot of money somewhere. Right. <laughs> uh, but, but um, uh, you know, it's a great question. I think that, that Facebook and other social media platforms have really uh, kind of honed in on something there and that it's, it's, it's a deeply rooted psychological need, this need for validation from others. It's not something that, that just emerged out of thin air when Facebook was created. Yeah, but um, it's, like, a- it's like being introduced to heroin, though, because this is like mm-hmm. a main line of that validation. Yeah, and I think I think there are some scholars who would who would take what you said very seriously. And I had a a professor in in my undergraduate years who who referred to Facebook and other social media their their business model as the drug dealer model because what they do is they they give it to you for free at first, whether it's Facebook or Instagram, and then they slowly start integrating ads and things like that that start to mine our data, and and it's no longer free, but you're hooked. Uh, so, so I think that there are a lot of people who would take what you said very seriously. You know, they're so smart. I mean, they think of everything, uh, every way they can get their hooks into you, they do it. I mean, it, it's, it's remarkable the way they've researched how to play on, on the human condition so that you never want to let go of this. The algorithms that they employ are constantly tugging at your emotions to make sure you stay tied to Facebook, to the point, as you guys point out, if you try to leave, they're like, you know, uh, your girlfriend or boyfriend being like, no, yeah. I, I really, <laughs> they no, they let's, shame you. let's give it one more chance. Exactly. Yeah, and I mean, you know, it's the algorithms that they, they mine our personal data and they, they do leave us susceptible to, to manipulation from, you know, persuasive messages from corporations or even, you know, more recently, this kind of deliberately deployed misinformation by these foreign governments. Uh, but these are also the algorithms that make our experience on Facebook meaningful. Uh, they personalize it for us. They send us content and friends that might satisfy our needs. And, and so th- in this sense, you know, whether the consumer is aware of you know, exactly how these algorithms work, uh, they tend to be kind of regarded as this, this necessary evil that, that while potentially uh, detrimental to democracy and public discourse, uh, really, you know, aren't really seen as, as that big of a threat because they mm-hmm. do provide us these kinds of uh, uh, nice tools for engaging with the people around us. I always uh, categorize Facebook as, well, anyways, lately, as this is going to be our cigarettes, that we're going <laughs> to look back on this one day and be like, I can't believe everybody, I can't believe so you could just Facebook all the time. And everybody <laughs> was doing it everywhere, right there in the, uh, in the delivery room. We were Facebooking, but um, I'm not so sure that that's the most apt analogy because I'm wondering if it's something that's only bad for some people. Do you see it as something that will be some people are are more susceptible to the things that that, uh, are bad about Facebook? Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I think... I think it's important, you know, to, to, to think about these issues in a nuanced way and not to not to write Facebook off as completely bad or completely altruistic. And, you know, I had a, a friend actually yesterday who I think provided a really nice analogy for this, uh, talking about something like like abstinence only education in relation to this recent, you know, delete Facebook uh, hashtag, you know, right. abstinence education doesn't necessarily work. So there, there's no reason to think that 
just deleting Facebook is going to solve all of our all of our social and cultural problems. Right. Um, but at the same time, we do need education. We do need uh, what would be you know analogous to sex education for social media, or you know what a lot of people think of as the role of media literacy in all of this. That that teaches people how to use Facebook and how to. Uh, navigate its uh, different psychological dimensions. But I, I do think you're right in that, in the same way that abstinence education does work for some people, uh, leaving Facebook might actually benefit others, but it also might be detrimental to others. Some people might really thrive on the, the gratifications that they get from using Facebook, and leaving would actually yeah. be a negative thing. That's so there's, there's, there's a lot of different, I think, dimensions to it, and it's important not to think of it as a uh, in, in a one-size-fits-all kind of terms. Do you think Zuckerberg knew this day was coming, or is has this last 18 months all been a complete surprise to him in mm. uh, the timeline of how he thought Facebook would evolve? You know, I don't think he could have predicted any of this, and he actually came out and said as much pretty recently when he said that, you know, if you would have told me five years ago or however long ago that Facebook would be used to kind of meddle in these democratic processes. He would have, you know, Mark Zuckerberg said that he would have said you were crazy. Uh, but if, if you actually look back and, and you know, there, there were some unflattering texts or, or instant messages of his that came out right, right after he founded Facebook, where he essentially called people idiots for giving them his personal data. He actually used stronger language. Uh, and, and so he's clearly been aware since he started uh, developing Facebook, that there was a potential for abuse here, uh, and so whether or not he was, uh, he he completely predicted this uh, uh, recent kind of flurry of negative press. Uh, he he knows what's going on. He knows how his platform works. He knows what it thrives on. He knows how it functions. And for him to plead uh, ignorance, that he had no idea yeah. that this was going on. Ignorance is is I think clearly not true but but that that goes to say facebook is 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 not a monolithic uh kind of black box it is a clearly um it's it's got two billion users everybody has kind of different ways in which they they think about facebook and use facebook so you know i don't want to put everything on mark zuckerberg and say that he you know essentially knew that this was going to happen but um there's some indications that he he's he's more aware than he lets on keep your emotions in check Michael Absolutely. Krieger, uh, a PhD at uh, Penn State. Hey, thanks so much for your time. I uh, appreciate it. He was co-author of the study in this uh, article, Why Is It So Hard to Delete Facebook? Thanks, Michael. Yep. Thanks appreciate for having it. me. Yeah, it's even hard to do it, you know, to take the steps to do it, mm -hmm. just m manually do it. Technically. But, but emotionally. Harder. I hate it. <laughs> you hate Facebook? I hate it. <laughs> and I can't. Let go of it because I'm afraid I'm going to miss something. Yeah, like, I didn't know that band was playing. <laughs> Damn it. All right, Mike's got your sports when we come back. Pitt with a really nice hire. Penn's getting set for Jersey tonight. Sports when we. DVE Sports. Mike Pursuta with your sports right now on the DVE Morning Show. We've talked a lot about new Pitt basketball coach Jeff Capel today, and we're going to continue to do that. But before we get there this hour, Wanted to give you a little snippet from Steelers President Art Rooney II. The NFL's annual meeting has uh, concluded in Orlando, and a lot went on down there. Art Rooney II uh, spoke with Missy Matthews of Steelers.com about a couple of the high-profile rules changes, including one that uh, will have a familiar ring to it if the 
name that Art Rooney II has come up with for it manages to catch on. I think we accomplished a number of important things. The, uh, the Jesse James catch rule has been put in the books and uh, a few months too late for us, but uh, I think it's an improvement in the rule and uh, glad we got that done. And, uh, and then the uh, new use of the helmet rule, which, uh, uh, again, the, the idea is to really get the, uh, the helmet as a weapon out of the game, and so I think it's an important step for us to, to take. The Jesse James catch rule, you like that? I like it. You feel better or worse? Doesn't have no. Yeah, it's a reminder. It's like the tuck rule. At least when they heard that, it was it was an indicator of them like getting a W and moving forward. And this is just a reminder of heartbreak. You think in Dallas they're calling it the Des Bryant rule? Every rule is just how it benefited. It's named after how it benefited the Patriots. You think in Detroit they're calling it the Calvin Johnson rule? I don't know, man. That one was that was the most egregious of all yeah, of them, I thought. But that was the September game in Chicago, Didn't so nobody mean anything. cared. The, Dallas, it was Dallas, and it was the Packers, and it was the playoffs. That was the playoffs. And he was stretching. Now, here's a question for you. Okay. Was he? Te- somebody brought this to my attention on Twitter yesterday, and I realized I hadn't thought this through. The Des Bryant play, was he tackled or stumbling to the ground after he caught the ball? And in today's game, would that be a catch or would it be a catch and a fumble? Catching a fumble. Because if you're not tackled, the ground can't cause a f- the ground can, excuse me, cause a fumble if you're not tackled. Oh well, then it can't be. If that's the rule, no, you can't, it couldn't have been a fumble then because it was a tackle. Was it a tackle? I mean, I think it was. He was he he made contact with him and he fell down. I can't remember if he went up with the guy and then oh, like stumbled. Uh, but it's there will be cases that you know. If a guy is not contacted by a defender and he stretches the ball out, then can he fumble it? I don't know. It looked like the guy, the guy's like underneath him, so he's making contact with him. And going to the goal line is different than going for an extra yard, right? Yes. Because when, you, when you're going for the goal line, theoretically the play is over once you break the plane. But if you're stretching for a first down marker in the middle of the field and you haven't been tackled, that could be a fumble. There's no that they got screwed so bad on that one. I mean, he's over the goal line though when he lands. Des Bryant, right? No, he's in front of it. I don't think he ever quite got it there, but he was trying. He was clearly trying. The other thing, that helmet rule, which they're still trying to figure out what the exact penalty is going to be, but they want to get that helmet hit out of the. That is going to be. It's going to be hard to enforce. Yeah, it's going to be chaos early on with that. That's my prediction. There are going to be a lot of flags. Remember all those flags when they first initiated the uh, safety initiative? Um, That's going to be a violent transition, no pun intended. Well, A lot of guys are going to have a problem with that because they've been doing it the other way for so very long. Mike Mitchell is the guy that always told you that uh, leopards can change their spots in the NFL. James Harrison has said it in the past as well. So the change can be made. It can. But They'll bitch and moan. They ain't going to be happy about it. But it's not targeting. It's just lowering your head. Yeah. And they say, don't call it the Ryan Shazier rule. To which... How could you not? Yeah. I don't think it's any disrespect just to him to call coincidence that. coincidence that it came up now after he suffered that horrific injury in December.
Uh, Jeff Capel talked about a lot of stuff yesterday at the Peterson Event Center upon being introduced as the new head basketball coach at Pitt. Uh, one of the subjects was why he's even interested in this gig. What were his impressions of Pitt before Pitt came calling? I knew the tradition of the program, and I knew, you know, I, I had friends of mine, really good friends, that, you know, were part of the Big East when Pitt was there, and they talked about how this was the most difficult place to play. 2014 was the first time we came up here when I was at Duke, and, and we played, and, and uh, you know, like you got the experience at Oakland Zoo, so I got to see all these things that I heard about when I came up here to play as an opposing coach. You know, I saw the facilities. I saw this, and I saw I was very, very impressed by that. And so, you know, I thought, okay, this this school, this this university, this program must be committed to basketball. Then he also talked about how much he respected uh, and clicked with Pitt's leadership, Heather Light, the AD, and the other people uh, running the show at the university. Uh, that Pittsburgh's an East Coast city, likes the East Coast. Uh, his family is from the East, and. Uh, likes the city and, and everything about it. and uh, You gave a nod to Dick Grote yesterday? Yeah, that was pretty cool. Dick Grote, of course, has the unique distinction of having had his number retired by Duke basketball. He's a great basketball player, once played in the uh, NBA and Major League Baseball at the same time. Amazing. Uh, and then went on to so many great years uh, in the MLB, and he's been uh, doing pit radio forever. Great guy and a great sport, too. He's always fun. Yeah. But, to, uh, you know, that shows that Jeff Capel gets it in terms of, you know, reading the room and acknowledging what you should acknowledge. Next sportscast, we'll talk more about the search for Jeff, how that ended up happening, and yeah. I, and how he's going to rebuild this from, you know, not quite scratch, but pretty, pretty damn close. I'll be interested to find the fi- to hear the final number of people who said they were going to transfer and then ultimately didn't because of this or want to come back, right. I'm also wondering how many of them. He said he wants them all back yesterday, but I'm wondering. Um, you, know? you can stay. You can You can yeah. go. Oh, you want to come back? No, you know what? No, we're good. Oh, yeah. I got a guy down here. Yeah. That's the other uh, thing. How many guys might come uh, following him here? This guy is, you know, there are people that you just hear him speak and they are attention getting and you find them interesting almost immediately. That doesn't mean coach. But I'm just, first impressions, this guy hit a home run. Well, and he's known for being a great recruiter. And if, uh, you know, last season is any indication, the runoff of Duke recruits would be better than what Pitt was able to field. Yeah. Yes, it would. Val's got news top of the hour. I'll uh, tell men who suffer from early arrival a very strange thing you can do to fix that. And not coincidentally, Stan Saverin will join us next hour as well. It's the DVE Morning Show. Randy Bauman along with Val Porter. And uh, we were talking earlier about the Roseanne boot being so crazy popular. And what other television shows would you like to see come back? Gilligan's Island. No. Laverne and Shirley. Uh-uh. The Big Ragu would be a Trump, the Trump supporter in that one. I don't know if I want to see Laverne and Shirley old. Oh, yeah. That would be depressing. Penny Marshall doesn't look like she's uh, doing so great physically these days well cheers has like been my all-time favorite show i watched it from the first show when i was a kid i loved it i think because shelly long was in it is why i watched it because i like watched her in night um no jesus what's the name of the michael night shift night shift and i was like ah it's her and then i watched it and it was uh, hilarious right from the get-go from the first joke 
So I'm thinking, wow, this is a fully formed, hilarious television show right off the bat, even though it tanked in the ratings that year. I loved it. And then it found its footing with viewers and became, of course, the iconic television show that we know it to be, the show that we know it to be today. How many seasons was Coach on it? I think... Was it only two? No, I think it was like four. Oh, wasn't that long? Yeah, before he he passed away. Um, But I did not know this until recently. Cheers was ripped off. Now I don't believe it. Now, James Burrow says it's not true. But did you know... That there was a place where everybody knew your name before this that was on Boston television. It was on their Channel 5. So like a local A local production called Park St. Under. Now, Park St. Under had a very similar cast of characters. In the Sam Malone role was Boston comic Steve Sweeney who is one of the all-time funniest people that has ever walked the earth. That guy, I cannot believe he didn't... You know, he's in a couple of the Farrelly Brothers movies and stuff, but and bit roles, but my God, was Steve Sweeney funny. But he played the Sam Malone character. He was a former Red Sox player turned bartender. There was a shart... Uh, shart. <laughs> there was a shart. How, who was that? Who cast is that character? The Al Roker. No, there was a short, dark-haired employee... With attitude, a world-weary civil servant working for the local government, an absent-minded old-timer offering comic relief, and yes, even a local psychiatrist turning the show's barroom into a regular place of both business and play. Ooh, seems pretty uh, similar. It was a subterranean bar. You walked underground, Downstairs. downstairs to get there. And it was a big hit in Boston with the Boston audiences. You try. Joe tried to get a hold of Steve Sweeney. And, Steve, and did you talk to him directly? You talked to his uh, people. His people. Yeah, his publicist. And she was like, yeah, now he's not talking about this. They want it to go away. They're sick and tired of talking about it in Boston. I never heard of it before. Park St. Under. It is wiped from the internet. There is one promo you can find, but it stops like 10 seconds into it. And the video malfunctions. The television station, WCVB were the first station in the country to produce a weekly half-hour sitcom, all right? Park St. Under in 1979. It used Steve Sweeney from the comedy scene, uh, some actors from Harvard. uh, But at any rate, it was basically the same thing as Cheers. And it doesn't exist anywhere because the television station didn't upload anything to the Internet. And they were throwing away all of their taped archives a few years ago. And somebody found out about it. And told this collector up in Maine, hey, Channel 5 is throwing out all their stuff. Do you want the tapes? And this guy's like, yeah. So pallets of tapes from from this. I mean, how great would it be to go back and look through like the Channel 4 archive of of the, even just the 80s. Audio. Oh my God. Yeah. It would be incredible. So this guy has it. And an article uh, that was recently reposted in AV Club, a guy went up to watch some of the, the episodes. Now, not particularly funny or didn't hold up, but the point is, it was a lot of the same established characters and the same dynamic between those characters as the show that the Charles brothers and James, uh, James Burroughs would come up with 
only like two years later. So this wasn't a case of like they bought the show. Oh, no. They just allegedly ripped, completely ripped it off. It was Cheers before Cheers. Park St. Under. Again, if you search for it, it'll come up. They'll, you, you'll see there was the mailman was this uh, uh, an African-American actor, and he was like different from Cliff. But he represented sort of that, that character. Yeah, that character. I, I, like he was uh, more representative of the black community in Boston. And, you know, whereas Cliff is like kind of that crazy conspiracy, conspiracy theorist kind of guy. Mm-hmm. There's no doubt he would be the great alt-right character of <laughs> a rebooted Cheers now. Uh, but that's not what the character was in Park St. Under. It's remarkable, though. If you look this up, they basically did the same damn show. And it only ran for a year. How is that just now coming out? It's apparently been thrown around in Boston for years. But I had never heard of it at all. Yeah, I never have either. And it just got reprinted in the AV Club. So I think Joe uh, is going to... Can you put that out on the DVE link? So you can go and judge for yourself. Because the pictures... I mean, I'm showing Val the characters right here. Oh, yeah. The coach guy looks like coach. Exactly. Steve Sweeney's kind of made out to look like Sam Malone, the ex-Red Sox player. The Diane character looks a lot yeah, I thought that was like her. Diane. Yeah, and the Carla one looks a little bit looks like, like her, Carla. Yeah. Yep. No. Damn. I mean, they're tearing down all our institutions, pal. <laughs> the millennials are shattering take, my dreams. They stopped using the top sheet. Cheers isn't real. I don't know what to believe anymore. Dogs, cats living together. What do you got? Uh, I'm going to tell guys who have uh, the trouble uh, with early arrival, mm-hmm. that medical issue, I'm going to tell you how to fix it. <laughs> <laughs> you always say that stuff like, I'm like, oh, good, thanks. <laughs> that applies directly to me. We're loving. It's 53 degrees at DVE. The news is brought to us by Caseda by Lutron Smart Lighting Controls. Jared Fogel is asking President Trump to help get him out of jail. The former Subway pitchman is in his third year of a 15-year sentence for child porn and sex with underage girls. He recently sent a written request directly to Trump to ask for a reduction in his sentence. Vogel maintains he's been unlawfully incarcerated and his constitutional rights violated. He accused federal prosecutors of tinkering with charges to create a crime. He also blamed his own attorneys of forcing him to plead guilty. Oh, man. In the pantheon of if you would have heard this sentence five years ago, Subway spokesman Gerald Fogel asks President Donald Trump to get him out of jail for child pornography charges ranks right up there. Right. And after 45 years in prison, a Michigan man is free with a clean record and his murder conviction wiped away in connection with a 1971 homicide. Richard Phillips has been free on bond since last year and was told by a judge yesterday he was completely exonerated, after which he said he's not angry about his time behind bars. 45 years he spent in jail for a crime he didn't commit. They're and never he, angry. I know. It's like the story the other day that I did about the guy who was in jail for 23 years for a crime he didn't commit, and he got hired back by the White Sox right. grounds crew. Yeah. He said the same thing. I'm not angry. I'm just They're never going angry. on with my life. What I mean, happened? I would come out just, I'm suing everybody. Everybody's going down for this. Yeah, you think you'd be Cool Hand Luke the whole time, You're just pretending to be broken, and then the second you had like an ounce of... Uh, 
uh, ability to scream, you would. But, because what what was that show, The Night of, oh, on HBO? Yeah, like it's horrible show. How do you spend 45 years in prison in your life? Like, it just doesn't change you. I'm not mad. You know, it was a simple mistake. I, Everything I happens for a reason. That. I think you have to, in order to survive, tell yourself all of these things so you don't go crazy. Because the rage would drive you insane. So you have to somehow rationalize what has happened to you. And that can't be easy to strip away. So when you walk out of jail, your brain is still doing the rationalization for what has happened as a like preservation mode. And not to mention all the time you have to spend trying to adjust to life outside of prison. Like how much changes in 23 years and 45 years? That's why Brooks hung himself. Yeah. He didn't want to deal with it. But they're never angry. They never I, are. I, I, uh, just once, I would love to see somebody come out of those doors swinging. Yeah. <laughs> you know, just throwing punches and haymakers in the air. If I find the son of a bitch. A North Carolina Democrat is taking his campaign for Congress to Tinder. Patrick Register is hoping to unseat Representative Alma Adams in the 12th Congressional Congressional District, which is based in Charlotte and surrounding areas. Register says he signed up for Tinder to reach more voters and have a direct conversation about they want uh, what they want in a representative. He says he is not looking for dates, but that putting the campaign on the dating profile was a unique way to see what's on voters' minds. I I didn't I don't know how tinder works do you have conversations on tinder i, no I didn't idea. i thought it was just yeah let's hook up no i think you talk i think it has like a chat like function on it uh, you have to be able to talk to the people once they sort of you accept accept each other yeah it clears you to or... talk to them and there is a clown running for congress in south carolina a literal clown a literal you might say every politician is a clown but this right. guy is actually a clown steve Lowe running for south carolina's fifth district he is a legit clown who graduated from Ringling Brothers Barnum and Bailey Clown College. Pretty cool. He has created the website clownforcongress.com and says, The joke that the president and Congress uh, are all clowns is great. Well, in my professional opinion, they are the worst clowns I've ever seen. So he's we got a clown in office, maybe. He's not like running in makeup or anything. <laughs> that would be great if he was. <laughs> Do you carry cash on you? Very actual little, cash, like twenty bucks. Yeah, if if you do, you're in the minority. Only forty one percent say they always have cash on them. Twenty five percent say they never do. The survey also found that when people do carry cash, it's usually twenty five bucks or less, which means you're probably still going to end up using a credit or debit card most of the time. Mm -hmm. So cash kind of cash is king. Yeah, but it's going away. It's going to a cashless society. Well, people don't. They feel safer, you know, not having cash. Mm -hmm. I just, I, I just never do. Like a few bucks, that's about it usually. Well, even when I have cash, I just prefer to do the card because it's quicker. Mm -hmm. Do you want to liven up that family Easter dinner, Randy? No, I want it to be <laughs> like the quietest and get me the hell out of there thing ever. Well, for those who do, you might want to toss uh, back a few Peeps-related drinks. You can make Peeps infused vodka. Now you got to start that today. Uh, pour a bottle of vodka into a pitcher, toss in about 10 Peeps, and wait two to three days for them to dissolve. Uh, then you can strain the vodka back into the bottle and make drinks from it. 
Oh. If the peeps survive, you can just eat the peeps. No, you never eat the rinds. <laughs> oh, that's mushroom tea. Never mind. There are peep jello shots. If you already know how to make jello shots, not really much difference to it. It's just a normal jello shot with a peep sitting in a bed of whipped cream on top. So you're not or I don't know, can you make can you make jello shots with vodka? Yeah. Well so then you make the peep vodka and put it in the peep jello shot. Sugar overload though. Too much. Well, it's Easter. And peep martinis. Uh, take one and a half ounces of marshmallow or rip whipped cream flavored vodka plus a half ounce of vanilla syrup, an ounce of cream. Rim the glass with vanilla syrup and sugar, then garnish it with a little peep on the edge. Rim the glass sounds really <laughs> dirty. Oh. Peeps are the white trash of candy. <laughs> they have flavored ones now. It's not just the plain old yellow peep. They have like orange cream. And... There's nothing appealing about a peep. It's no, I don't, sticky. I don't like it tastes it horrible. If you touch it, it's on your hands for an hour. I don't like the peeps either. You have to, you have to use turpentine to get peep off you. <laughs> Watch the peep. Um, guys, do you have trouble with your sexual encounters not lasting long enough? Maybe you suffer from an early arrival. Well, I've got just the trick to help with that, but it is kind of weird. A new study has found tickling men's feet can fix the problem of early arrival. Now you have to bring another guy in, in the bedroom and tickle his feet? <laughs> yeah. Is that how that works? Because that would be that'd be weird. The t- well, you can't tickle your own feet because you can't tickle yourself. So you have to tickle somebody else's feet. Yeah. Well, th- somebody else has to tickle your feet and, if you're a guy. Is who it has, the person you're doing it with? Has, we sh- you can have whoever, if you want to have somebody else what come in What position do you it? get in where they could tickle your feet? <laughs> The tickling in the study was done with a mild electric current. Uh, current Supposedly, the current causes no pain, as scientists specify. It's so mild, it's like a, a tickling sensation. So it's not, not severe enough to shock you. The study was performed on 30 men who struggle with early arrival, and they found the treatment increased the duration of sex. The current passes up the tibial nerve to other parts of the body, including nerves in the pelvis to control the muscles used for sex. They say the study was done on a very small sample, so they want to do more research. This is uh, that's just way too weird. <laughs> There's, you don't you, think guys who suffer from early arrival would try anything to think about baseball? I mean, that's, that's the old tickling is t- just a distraction. Don't think joke. about the pirates because you'll lose it. But. <laughs> Tickling is just or a distraction you'll... anyways, right? I mean, it's just like putting your mind on something well, else. Well, they say this is the nerve it's a, um, s- stimulates, like it goes up your leg, the tibial nerve. So now French tickler, she's going to have to wear one on her toe. <laughs> I guess so. And like, <laughs> Give it a shot. Yeah. Well, you know. Whatever works. Hey, whatever works. Everybody's different. Paul McCartney is continuing to mine his solo catalog and is set to release four new reissues, fresh edition of uh, fresh editions of 1977's Thrillington, 1978's Wings Greatest, and 2005's Chaos and Creation in the Backyard, and 2013's New are all due on May 18th. All four titles will be available in single CD and vinyl single LP formats. And all vinyl sets will include a download card. Ronnie Wood says he's doing well following cancer surgery last year. He tells uh, Metro News, I had three months of checkups and it was all clear. They said, go and enjoy life. When he was asked about chemotherapy, he said, quote, I don't want to lose my hair. If your body is riddled with cancer, it's a losing cause. Luckily, all mine was contained within the left lung and I was fortunate enough to get a shot of it. Bang. 
There was none in the rest of my body, so I didn't require chemo, end quote. Ronnie said he was surprised not to have tumors in both lungs after smoking for over 50 years. His advice to anyone with cancer? Just be strong and remain positive. He says he was prepared to remain positive to his dying breath. Woody, the second member of the Stones to overcome cancer, drummer Charlie Watts successfully dealt with throat cancer in 2005. If you're one of the Rolling Stones at this point, you're you're playing with house money. Isn't he the youngest of the Stones? What was his age? Charlie is the oldest. Yeah, Charlie's like coming up on 80. I always I always remember that he's the oldest. How old is Ronnie Wood? He's only 70. Well, he's a babe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's a kid. Yeah, he's a kid. Got lots of time. Donnie Iris is 75. Still rocking. Still rocking. Rainy and foggy, low 60s for the high today. It's 53 at DVE. So you were talking about contents of your Easter basket and uh, the sugar and stuff, making vodka drinks with them. Well, check out how much sugar is in your Easter basket or your child's or yours, whatever. Uh, a basket. With a small, hollow chocolate bunny, not even a solid okay. one. Yep. Mm-hmm. A bag of jelly beans, marshmallow chicks, peeps, peeps, peanut butter eggs, will easily surpass 900 grams of sugar. That's about 90 chocolate chip cookies. <laughs> 90. Or 23 cans of soda. That is an unbelievable amount of sugar. What's... I don't know how much. Big solid chocolate bunnies might be the biggest sugar offender. It's easy to eat a whole bunny, you know, just sit there and crush a bunny. Uh, A Dove milk chocolate Easter bunny, 12 ounces, has 192 grams of sugar. Wow. That seems like a lot. So the suggested serving size is one-eighth of a bunny. Oh, come on. Well, this isn't food. You don't eat like this every day or every week. You know, just letting you know. Jelly beans. Jelly Belly's 49 flavor bag, 21 grams of sugar, and 27 beans. So there's less than a gram per bean. But still, a lot of beans. Not as bad as I would have thought it would have been. Yeah. I would have thought there would have been a couple just per bean. Just sugar-colored sugar. Peeps are pointless. 34 grams of sugar in the chicks and uh, in the bunnies, they're a little smaller, so those are only 26 grams. Peanut butter chocolate eggs. See, mm. that's where I like to. Me too. That's my jam. I think I've eaten about seven bags of those. This Reese's season. peanut butter eggs come in a variety of sizes. Yes, they do, and shapes. Because I've bought them all. <laughs> <laughs> How many you been crushing? I just I told you last week I can't stop eating them. I've seen you with the foil. You get the you're like a crack addict except it's just foil around your mouth. Of- <laughs> they come in tiny bunnies. Mm-hmm. They come in tiny, like half eggs. Right. So like one side's flat. They come they come and they're individually wrapped. They come jumbo size. Have you crushed a few jumbos? Uh-huh. And <laughs> the regular egg. All right. Well, some of the Reese's peanut butter eggs contain twenty grams of sugar in the suggested serving size of four pieces. Those are I think those are just the like well, that's not bad. I probably eat maybe eight a day. <laughs> <laughs> the big six ounce egg, 92 grams of sugar, Ooh. 48 grams of fat in those. Yeah. No wonder the jeans are getting tight. Not a lot of not a lot of usefulness out I'm, of that. I'm gonna I'm back on the um after Easter. 
Got to get back in action. Val, with this weather, your that's body it. does not want to lose weight. See? It's that's... like, hey, we're waiting for it to get nice. It's it, it, There's a biological imperative occurring with your uh, metabolism. I'm still in hibernation mode. If you use uh, if you eat those Cadbury eggs. 20, oh, I hate those. 20 grams of sugar. Mini Cadbury cream eggs. 21 grams of sugar. The I don't understand that. The goo in those things. <laughs> oh, those goo. so gross. It says the fondant cream-filled milk chocolate eggs. Might contain more sugar across the pond. UK outlets have reported 26 grams of sugar in those. Malted milk eggs. Yuck. 23 grams of sugar for 12 pieces of the Whopper eggs. Whoppers are the, Ugh. that's the, yeah. the like brand. This. So uh, there you go. That's what you can expect sugar-wise in your Easter basket. Um, in the Knoxville New Sentinel, for some reason, they printed this. USA Today picked it up. Easter pranks you can pull mm-hmm. on your kids. Fill a hollow chocolate bunny up with mustard. <laughs> I pers- hope Jimmy Kimmel does that. The, the percentage of people who like that combo is roughly 0%. Even <laughs> if they see something yellow leaking out, they'll probably think it's just cream or custard or something like that. That reminds me, when we were at Penn State, we lived on the ninth floor at Penn Towers one semester, and we had a huge slingshot, and we used to fill up water balloons with mustard oh. and water, and then just <laughs> off the ninth floor. You were a bad kid. Oh, my God. It, it was so funny to see those things land. Because <laughs> um, you could, you know, a water balloon explodes far away, and you, you can't... Shrapnel. You can't tell the damage it does, but if it's got mustard in it, you can see it, you know. It's like a huge paintball. Uh, they also say, dye a few raw eggs that haven't been boiled. Oh. <laughs> the big payoff for that one is when they toss it in their basket or try to eat it. I mean, come on. Uh. Your, your seven-year-old kid's going to get salmonella in the morning so you can get a few <laughs> yucks? These are horrible prank ideas. Fill your kid's plastic eggs with disappointing stuff. Crumpled up candy wrappers. <laughs> they say, or vegetables. How are you going to fit a vegetable uh, a in there? A little broccoli. That's a not going to work. A little broccoli bud. Take a few of your kids' old toys and put them in the basket. That's kind of funny. I love how they extrapolate on it, like, in this article. This is how it's going to play out. <laughs> you put old toys in their basket, and then hopefully they'll freak out and claim Easter's a sham. <laughs> Good, then maybe they won't expect gifts next year for Easter. Yeah, they say make sponge cake out of actual sponges. Just frost them. Oh, my word. (laughs) See, that's my dad's go-to candy is sponge candy, which is not a thing down here, but up in Erie, that's the big one. It's pretty good. You've brought it back. Oh, yeah. It's it's currency to my dad. He carries it around like people are going to do him favors. We're like, hey, how about if I give you this bag of sponge candy? (laughs) You lift my luggage up there and put it in the overhead compartment. Uh, they also say, do an Easter egg hunt, but don't hide any eggs. <laughs> That's awesome. I do like that one. Just slam the door shut. All right. Good luck. Did you get, I mean, there were six kids in your family of varying ages, but was Easter like a big? It wasn't that big of a Did deal. you get a big basket with toys and stuff? I don't, I just remember getting no candy, candy and you look for Easter eggs. Candy. Around the house. Toys. And you would immediately put your teeth marks in the bunny <laughs> your fang marks. You put your fang marks in it so that you know somebody else wouldn't snag the bunny and say it was theirs. <laughs> so you, we we had uh, you know it was like much like how they identify people after a horrible fire. <laughs> your dental record. We're going to the dental record on the bunny. <laughs> like whose 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 teeth fit this bunny? 
And you would show them, see, this one's mine. <laughs> Which is oh. a good way to keep that your bunny. Um, but my uh, my brothers used to love to hide ours because, like, the, you know, the three younger kids, because my older brothers thought that that was the funniest thing in the world. And they would put it in places like like the attic in the garage. Oh, my gosh. Which was like, we couldn't even get up there. And I'll never forget <laughs> my cousin Chris, my poor cousin Chris, they hid his so good he couldn't find it. And my aunt and uncle were like, well, I guess you don't, you know, if you don't find it, you don't find it. And he, and they thought it was funny, and he searched for it for days. I mean, the trauma that must have endured for that kid. I think he found it on Tuesday. Ah, uh, they're just like, oh well, if you can't find it, hey. I always thought that was the cruelest thing. Oh my gosh! But I do remember um, uh, Easter baskets duct taped underneath tables. That was a big one. My my uh, brother Charlie used to like to hide ours there. Like he'd go around the house and duct tape them under things. My mom would make that. She put up so many. Easter decorations, but this thing she made, like you'd blow up a balloon and then you'd wrap yarn around it and dip it in sugar water and let it harden. No, and then you cut the like circle in it and you put little decorations in there and eggs and yeah, that's nice. She loved to do that. That was a nice thing. But I don't, yeah, I don't remember ever getting toys for Easter, just candy. I mean, if I was my mom, I would have put Benadryl inside of everything (laughs) to counter effect the. Six kids all wired on sugar. <laughs> like she might have wanted to do that every day. Oh my god, yeah. yeah. I can't <laughs> believe she didn't drink more. She's doing okay with it now, though. She's, she's, she's making up for lots. Yeah, time. she's taking to it. Yeah, it's nice in her old age. She she likes the scotch. <laughs> all right. Um. Anyways, so there's your Easter uh, advice. Enjoy all that on how sugar. to prank and how much sugar you're going to be getting there. Uh, on the way for you when we come back. Mike Pursuta, more on the pit head coach hire and what a great job they did there. Pens have the devils tonight. We'll talk with Stan Saverin. Is Stan, uh, he's doing uh, opening day stuff, right? Is he in Detroit? No? Okay. Well, we'll talk with Stanley coming up too. DVE. DVE Sports. Mike Pursuta with your sports right now on the DVE Morning Show. And congratulations, Heather Like and Pitt Panthers. They come up with uh, a gem of a new head coach. Potentially, yeah, and certainly a guy who uh, is being universally accepted as a good fit for Pitt, and that was the whole idea, right? Uh, Sports This Hour brought to you by Panhandle Cleaning and Restoration. My two biggest takes from that uh, introductory press conference that Pitt held yesterday for new basketball coach Jeff Capel over at the Pete. Number one, athletic director Heather Like, welcome to Pittsburgh. She showed up, and the way the process played out uh, not relying on a search firm to identify X number of candidates and then picking one, mm-hmm. but doing the due diligence, uh, accepting the responsibility of her position to understand that she's supposed to know something about who these people are, right. Un- understanding that uh, she was a college softball player, not a men's basketball player, and maybe that's not her area of expertise. So reaching out to people that she knows in the business, in this case, Eddie Fogler, who was uh, a longtime NCAA head coach and a former point guard at North Carolina, they had a, a pre-existing relationship. So she leaned on him for some basketball expertise and then uh, leaned on herself to talk to these people and figure out who would fit. And then acknowledging on the record that, uh, yeah, Jeff Capel was the second choice. First guy turned it down. Second guy accepted it forward. Uh, that was some pretty cool stuff. Uh, the other really compelling part of this to me is 
Jeff Capel is not just taking over for a coach who got fired. He's taking over for a program that at least right now has been reduced to not quite rubble, but, you know, a few rocks standing. Right. Uh, there's not much to build on, and uh, Jeff Capel addressed that yesterday. Hi, Jeff. Mike Pursuta, WDVE. As we speak right here, your starting point. How many guys are on the team? Our team right now? Yeah. I don't know. And is that particularly daunting compared to your other beginnings in your career? I've been through this. You know, when I took over VCU, you know, we lost some guys. And, you know, right away, right after the press conference, I kicked three guys off the team. I'd been there as an assistant. So I knew the culture. And the thing I knew that needed to be changed more than anything was the culture. And we'll figure some things out. And so right when that was over with, I dismissed three guys. You know, when I went to Oklahoma, you know, there was NCAA stuff. I mean, there was a reduction of scholarships. There were all these things. I didn't know that team. You know, so I've, I've been there. You know, no, it's, it's at a different level. But at Duke, as an assistant, you know, at the end of the year, we don't know who our team's going to be. We don't know who's leaving, turning pro, who's... You know, we've had transfers and things like that. That's the nature of college basketball right now, unfortunately. You know, I'd like for it to be different. Um, and hopefully as we build this thing and as we go forward, you know, it will be different. Uh, but right now, that's something that I'm not exactly sure of right now. Is it daunting? Yes. I knew that when I took the job. But all new jobs are daunting. That's, that's the nature of what we do. Yeah, he's taking that head on as well. Uh, a lot, the majority of the scholarship players since Kevin Stallings was fired have asked for and been granted their release from scholarship. Now they are, uh, they can return. It's not uh, a final exit. It's just sort of a reevaluation process on on both sides. Jeff Capel has said he's talked to the former Pitt players and he wants them back. The, there were a bunch of guys sitting there yesterday in pit gear. I don't, are they on the team? Or are they not? Are they, right. are they somewhere in between? If they had a game tonight, they'd have a problem. Uh, they don't have a game tonight. So he'll deal with what he has to uh, as as he goes. And, uh, you know, they'll have some guys in uniform come October. Uh, the other uh, really interesting aspect to Jeff Capel's coaching career, he's a former player at Duke under Mike Krzyzewski and uh, former head coach at VCU, former head coach at Oklahoma, and a seven-year assistant at Duke. He has arrived with a reputation as a recruiter extraordinaire. Now, how much of that is Jeff Capel and how much of that is, hey, would you like to come to Duke? Which I'm guessing most people would be agreeable to that play college basketball. But uh, Jeff Capel emphasized yesterday that he has recruited uh, at places other than Duke previously, and he knows how to get that done. We got in the door with guys that maybe were above us when I was at VCU. And we certainly got in the door with guys, you know, people didn't think we could when I was at Oklahoma. Um, <clears throat> and so I have no doubt that we can do that here. You know, there's a brand here. There's a, you know, being a part of the ACC, there's a tradition here. There are facilities here. There are resources here. You have a great city. You have a great academic institution. I don't see why we can't. And we're going we're gonna to go after it. And, you know, we, 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 we want to get guys that fit. I want to get guys that fit what we're trying to build here, what we're trying to do here. That's what I want. And so sometimes that's an incredibly high-level player. Sometimes it's a guy that you know that's high-level that maybe other people don't know. You know, I've never been one that kind of looked at, okay, well, this guy's highly ranked, so I should go after him. No, it's about the right fit. And that's something that we'll go after. You know, whoever's the right fit for us, 
we're going to try like heck to get him here at Pitt. A couple things about that Duke program. Uh, prior to Mike Krzyzewski's arrival in 1980-81, Duke had been to two national semifinals and lost and two national championship games and lost. So Duke wasn't Duke before Mike Krzyzewski got there. It's It's been that for so long, it, it's maybe hard for people to recall that they didn't used to be, the Blue Devils didn't used to be the gold standard. They were just one of the wannabes trying, you know. And Krzyzewski uh, winds up winning five NCAA titles and uh, four other appearances in the championship game. The first title was in 1991. The most recent was in 2015. So he has been able to adjust with the changing nature of the game and how, how things aren't what they used to be. Some days you wake up, oh, we need a big man. Oh, we need a point guard. We need a wing. He's done it with four-year players. He's done it. it used to be nobody ever left Duke early. Now they leave Duke early all the time. He's able to adjust to that. Uh, problem solving is, I think, what they do best. And if that's what Jeff Capel learned the most from Mike Krzyzewski, he's going to figure this out. It's interesting, though. Adapt or die. And, you know, I wonder if, like, Bobby Knight would have been able to get No, him, I don't think know. so. Uh, didn't work at Texas Tech, really, right? It kind of He had his run at Indiana. I forgot about Texas And then Tech. it... It wasn't sustainable. It wasn't transferable because he he was rigid enough. He was not going to change with the times. He was the old school Lombardi, "F you my way or I'll kill you." You know that mm-hmm. that doesn't work anymore. And Mike Shishovsky played for him, and he was able to. We talked about this before. He was able to absorb the basketball genius, but he was able to deal with people the way you have to deal with them in changing yeah. times. Yeah, and Bobby and I can't do that. Yeah, and if you don't have the people or they're not playing for you, it doesn't really matter what you know. A lot of people talk about coaching. It's not what you know. It's what you can get them to know. Will they listen? Will they learn? Mm-hmm. Can you teach? So, it, uh, interesting uh, turn of events yesterday. I, uh, I sub- I've said this before, too. I think college basketball is a tremendous game. We're on the you know, cusp of the Final Four weekend here. It's the culmination of what I always love every year, the college basketball season. It's a lot more fun if we get somebody locally that's participating if we're not just watching from afar. Well, hopefully that'll be the case moving forward, yeah. Pitt's got my attention. Now, Duquesne's got my attention. Andy Toole up at Robert Morris has my attention. Let's get everybody firing and uh, involved in this thing, and uh, it's going to be more fun. Stan Sabern has our attention next on DV. Sometimes I think about how great it would be to live in the Pacific Northwest. Then I remember it's like this every day. Right. You know, a guy I grew up with moved to San Diego after college. And he found it boring. It's really boring in San Diego. It's perfect weather, but there is not a lot of culture there. It's kind of like the Orlando of Florida. But he said even the weather would, or, like, or you California. never felt good about a nice day because it was sunny and 70 every effing day. Yeah, that part I wouldn't find boring. You never felt any urgency to take advantage of it. It was just like, oh, this again? Yeah, I guess you'd end up laying around watching Netflix, yeah. but still. He ended up moving to Milwaukee. Oh, good Lord. <laughs> Stan Savern on the line with us right now. Good morning, Stan. How are you? Morning, guys. Glad to arrive early, as I understand the conversation, so... <laughs> hey, I lived in Florida for three years before I came to Pittsburgh in Orlando back when it wasn't what it is now. And it was, I hated it. 
I'm not a big fan of the heat to begin with, but I mean, every day is the same, and you guys will appreciate this. This is obviously before computers, and we got our news in the ticker machine, you know, printed the news. And the disc jockeys there on June 1st would take the weather forecast on June the 1st, tape it up on the console board, and leave it there for three months because it <laughs> never changed. High 98, low 72, chance of rain, which every day hit at 4 p.m. You could set your watch to it. And they really, they kept the weather forecast up there for three months, never changed it. Well, this is uh, super depressing. I'd rather hate that weather than this weather. At least it's a little warmer today and it's not. 38. I didn't realize how warm it was. And when I got out of my car this morning, I you know, I had a jacket on. I'm like, wow, it's really actually pretty warm today. Yeah. Yeah, Feels. it's going to be 60. Still not going to be a Pirates game, though, Stan. No, um, we got the word, uh, of course, just as I got to the television station at AT&T Sportsnet, five minutes after I got here, uh, they announced the uh, the postponement. And, you know, it's better that than, you know, messing around and, you know, three-hour rain delays. And um, they kind of knew this last night. The, yeah. the Reds canceled their opener yesterday because they knew what it was going to be like. So, you know, better yep. this. And the forecast in Detroit is much better um, for tomorrow. So that, you know, should preclude any further disruption. And the, the forecast for here, Monday, for the home opener, um, it's not going to be as warm, but it's, not, it's going to be rain-free, apparently. That's the latest. When it uh, involves the pirates in a delay, don't you? instead of a delay, don't you call it a stay of execution? <laughs> <laughs> I was just going to say, delaying the inevitable. You know, you got to get it over with. Man, this tooth really hurts, you know, but I don't want to go to the dentist. Uh, but, you know, once you get it done, it feels better. Um, probably so. Although, I think that they've got a chance to be better than we think they might be. Now, that's not to say they're going to be oh, good. Oh, I think they'll – I actually think they're going to toy with – yeah, you know, not. I don't think they'll be five hundred, but I think they'll. I think they'll get seventy five wins. Yeah, you know, um, boy, how the mighty have fallen, right? Seventy five wins, good. Um, but I do think that they're not going to be as horrific as some people are predicting, based on a couple of things. Uh, certainly, the losses of McCutcheon and Cole uh, were significant, but they, to me, were more emotional. If you look at the practical aspect of it, I mean, McCutcheon had a bounce back year last year, but. Outside of the power, he did have 28 home runs. When you look at his batting average, runs batted in, a guy like Corey Dickerson, based on his major league history, is more than capable of coming close to duplicating that. As far as Garrett Cole's concerned, he was awful last year. The one thing he does give you, and did give you, was 203 innings. Now, he's pitched better than that in his career, but really the last couple, three years have not been great for him. Uh, and I'm not minimizing the loss, and I still think they could have gotten more of a return in both trades. But um, the only thing that you're going to miss from Garrett Cole uh, won't be the 31 home runs, um, the bloated, elevated ERA, just the innings pitched. Uh, now, whether they can cover for that with some of these younger guys remains to be seen. What I'm saying is that while there were significant losses, they're not irreplaceable losses. Now, that still only gets them to around 75 wins. I'm not suggesting that they're going to be 500 or certainly not contending. But, I, don't, I mean, some people are calling for losing 100 games. I don't see that. Stan, um, yeah, the one issue there, though, depth. Do they have enough? Can they suffer through a couple of injuries? Well, no, I don't know. You know, not many teams can. There's no question. I actually like their bench, uh, and, you know, the bench players. I mean, I think it's pretty solid with David Freeze and and uh, Sean Rodriguez. Beware, 
Gatorade coolers everywhere. Right. Uh, and and uh, Adam Frazier uh, will be a DH for this series. And I think Jose Asuna will be back sooner rather than later. Uh, so, I mean, they've got some quality guys off the bench, but those guys are not everyday players. I mean, you're right. If they were to lose an everyday player, there would be some issues. Uh, depth is a key. Uh, I think, frankly, their biggest concern is the bullpen because outside of Rivero, uh, who's excellent, and maybe, maybe uh, George Contos, uh, you're really you know pulling names out of a hat. And, and isn't that can... the way it's done now? I mean, the, the really good teams have really good – Endless, seemingly endless supply of arms they can turn to in the sixth, seventh, and eighth innings. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think you know what really changed that, Mike, and maybe it happened before um, was what Terry Francona did uh, in the playoffs two years ago. When I mean, he bring Andrew Miller in the sixth inning, if he, you know, and he he, he would say, "I'm going to use six pitchers, um, and, you know, maybe one pitcher for one batter, and I'm going to do that repeatedly, uh, not counting on his starters other than Corey Kluber to go much more than five, six innings." Uh, I do think that's the way people are, are, are you're pitching now, uh, and you know that's all well and good. It's one of the reasons that games last four hours and nineteen minutes. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But uh, by the same token. Um, the question is, do they have reliable arms? I mean, these guys, they all have good arms, but we, we have no idea uh, how well they'll pitch at the major league level. Stan, we've been talking a lot about uh, Pitt's hire uh, at head coach. Capel coming in yesterday and being pretty impressive right off the, the get-go. How far away are they from saving the program? Because I was you know, mentioning this to Mike earlier, like the Browns. I don't understand. You, you don't have a lot of time. And why you stick with a loser is beyond me. You don't have a lot of time to retain your fan base once you lose them. Uh, so they didn't have to suffer too long under Kevin Stallings. They made the right move. They got out of that and, and moved forward. Uh, this seems to be the guy. Has it been too long for Pitt fans to remember what it could be? No, I, I, I really don't think so. I mean, because I, I really don't think the things – you know, really began to sour until the second half of the the previous season, um, and there was still pretty good attendance. You know, last year, uh, obviously, toward the end, there were ten thousand empty seats over there. No, I, I don't think so. Uh, I, I don't think that you know one two bad years are enough to you know ruin what was a pretty good hot ticket in this town and a pretty active fan base. I mean, I think it's a limited fan base. I mean, I don't. Think it necessarily captures the attention of everybody, uh, but people who are just Pitt it, fans or yeah. like basketball. That's you know, uh, given it, the struggles that Duquesne has had, and they may be in the process of turning it around. No, I don't think you know too much time has gone by. Um, I think that this will excite people. Frankly, just about anybody, but Kevin Stallings would have excited people. And that's not a shot at him. It was a bad hire to begin with, but I think the magic of Duke. The magic of hiring a guy who's been successful, or at least associated with a successful program, and you know the name Duke is is magic around here. Uh, I, I think we'll see what he does, uh, and he's got a hole to dig out from. We'll see how many players who requested transfers he retains, and it's not about the quality of those players that went 0 and 19 in conference play. It's more about I mean you have to have a base. Um, whether you know whether a year from now those kids are playing or not, uh, you can't come in and say I need to find eight players just to give me twelve to play with. Uh, you know, however good, bad, or indifferent the players who played last year are, you still need bodies. Uh, and that you know because I don't think he wants to start out by bringing in five or six junior college transfer types.
You know, Pitt goes through these changes pretty regularly, as we are aware. And every time a football coach or a basketball coach changes over, I always hear that argument. Well, Pitt needs to understand who Pitt is and what they're capable of and what their ceiling is. Does this at least uh, tell you that Pitt is shooting for the top and Pitt should be? I think should at least be trying. Yeah, I don't think there's any question about that. I think maybe the most important thing they did was bring look Bobby Hurley. I'm sure or Dan Hurley, excuse me, would have been would have been fine. Bobby would have been fine. (laughs) Bobby would have been you know pretty good too. Um, But uh, they got a guy who understands the locale. They they got a guy who understands what it takes to compete in the ACC, the type of player you need. Look, the Big East was a great conference, but the only thing that is equal in terms of Big East and ACC, they both played with basketballs. Other than that, the style of play, the type of athlete, the type of player, totally different. I'm not saying one's better than the other, but it certainly is different. And Pitt was caught with that Big East mentality, Big East-type players, and you just watch ACC basketball, at least the better teams, and you see how athletic those players are and, and the length of those players and the speed with which they play. Capel gets that. He was one of those players. He has coached those kinds of guys. And I would say this. I mean, he may be a great recruiter. However, at Duke, you don't really recruit. At Duke, you pick out the player and say, well, we'll take him, we'll take him. Uh, I mean, they have to be recruited, but... Let's be honest. Getting a kid to come to Duke is entirely different than getting a kid to come to Pitt. Uh, Duke and North Carolina are always going to be atop that conference. Uh, I mean, you, so like to answer your question, Mike, to aspire to unseat them, I think that's unrealistic. But there's no reason that Pitt can't be competitive. I mean, I look at a French. I mean, I look at a, a school like uh, Miami, of Florida, like Clemson this year in the ACC, more than competitive NCAA tournament teams. There's no reason that Pitt can't be up at that level. Even Boston College has, has turned it around to a degree. So aspiring to be the top, Duke, North Carolina, well, to me that's kind of a dream, given how entrenched they are down there at Tobacco Road. But it doesn't mean that you can't be competitive like a Clemson is now, like a Virginia Tech on occasion has been, Miami of Florida. No reason you can't NC State. No reason you can't compete with those schools. Stan, who's on the show today? Um, I don't know, uh, because uh, I was set to do the Pirate pregame show at AT&T Sportsnet, and so they've got Rob Rossi filling in for me. So Rob will be filling in for me today. He'll get him to talk in football with Mark Cabali and uh, talking pit and uh, pirates with Will Graves of the Associated Press. Thanks, Stan. Appreciate your time today. All right, guys. Thank you. All right. Tomorrow on the show, Sean Collier will be here reviewing Ready Player One and Game Over Man. Also, comedian Cristela Alonzo, Joe Grishecki in the House Rockers in the oh, coffee nice. house tomorrow. In anticipation of their big CD release party Saturday night at the Hard Rock. So tomorrow's going to rock. All right. Is it going to? So tomorrow's going to snow? Chance, yep. And right. a chance of snow in Easter. Jeez Louise. Enough already, you know? Yeah, I mean, it's April. Michelle's coming up next. Electric lunch at noon. I'm finished. You stay classy, Pittsburgh. Don't touch your face. I got him dead, Pittsburgh, all day, baby. For now, you guys call me Ronald. Would you not eat my pants? Ronald. Ah! Mm-hmm.